Hi, I'm Kara Kilmer. I play Sylvie Brennan on Chicago Fire, and you are listening to Minas and Molly's. gonna be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride. Hey, shyhards! Welcome to episode 215 of Meet Us at Molly's. We are covering this week's episodes 716, 1016, and 916. Um, happy day after St. Patrick's Day. Is that a thing? I, I guess. Well, I mean, it, it's St. Patrick's Day the day we're recording this, so. St. Patty's Day. Patty. Yes. Patty's yes. Day. And as I tweeted earlier, every day is St. Patty's Day when you're a shy hard. I mean, uh, yes. Yes. It's true. We, we're <laughs> hashtag blessed in this fandom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the only person who may not be celebrating is Kim Burgess. But, you know. Uh... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So as always, <laughs> we like to start with the news, but guess what, you guys, we don't have any news. Um, we're headed into another little mini hiatus. So there's really not well happening. We do have one piece of news, but we're going to save it for when we get to that part of med. Yeah. I, we've got you, some big news actually. That's, a, that's big. Did you have that on your bingo card? I did not have that on mine. Not at all. No. Not not at all. And now that I think about it, though, I was thinking about this earlier when I was rewatching. Do you remember that one interview that Andy and Diane did? I don't remember which outlet it was. And they said that like an old character would be returning and we were trying to figure out who it was. And we but I would have never guessed who it was in a million years. Oh, my God. That interview was like forever ago, though. Right. It was either like. I want to say it was like the end of 2021. I have so many questions. And I just kind of forgot about it too. But like, I would have never guessed who it was. Never. So many questions. I have so much I want to say, but I got to save it. Okay. Yeah. So no news today, but we do have two patron shout outs. I love it. I love it so much. Okay. So first patron shout out goes to Jessica. Yes, we've got a bunch of Jessica's in the Facebook group, but now we have another one. Welcome to the family. <laughs> so happy you're here. Enjoy. Um, and then next up, we've got Jenna Kennedy. Jenna, welcome, welcome, welcome to the fam. I know you are already in the Facebook group too, so I hope you enjoy. Love it. Love it. If you would like to support the pod for as little as $2 a month, you can head to the link in our socials to our Patreon page. Um, It's going to list out all the different tiers we've got, and you can pick out which one is right for you. We've got the discount to the merch store. We've got bonus episodes. We've got the Facebook group. The Facebook group is probably the biggest perk at this point. We're over 80 people now. Over 80. Yeah, we're like right at 80. Yeah. And it's it's fun. It's It's a lot of fun. It's Um, like Tumblr, but not trash. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, but it's even beyond that. Like, it's, you know, people share just things about their lives. And, like, it doesn't have to be One Chicago. Like, there was a thread the other day about, like, non-One Chicago, like, your favorite non-One Chicago shit moments and whatever. Like, it, and that was really fun. And, you know, so, like, there's it's just beyond One Chicago. Like, it's really just become, like, a little family in there. And it's it's really cool. That thread of non-One Chicago shit moments, that was so cathartic. I was like, oh, let me, like, talk about this one OC moment that, like... <laughs> from like 2002 that's just yeah that was cathartic I was like there's the Alex and Izzy kiss and then like yeah yeah that was fun good yeah for sure for sure so 
without further ado, we can jump into the episode, shall we? Let's do it. All right. So we're going to start off with the crazy chaos that was Med. This was a good episode, but it was effing chaotic. It was a lot because you had kind of, there were like, you know, three or four main storylines, but then you had characters weaving in and out of those. Cause like Dylan was technically part of the Crockett one. And then he had his own storyline. And then like, it was just a lot to keep up with, but yeah, yeah, I thought it was like a, like a good solid episode. And I liked it, especially once I went back and rewatched it this morning, mm-hmm. but it was just a lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big time. So we're going to start off with Vanessa because she had the first scene of the episode. So that's usually how this works. So we didn't even like in the recap is basically when I started this because in the recap, I was like, oh, we're touching on the Dr. Shen 2 stuff. Yes. I'm so here for I, I'm really enjoying this storyline. I am too, actually. I am too. I know. I'm shocked that I'm enjoying it, but I am enjoying it. <laughs> Yeah, so the week that the week that she had asked him to the the concert, that was the yes. week that I, I was gone. I wasn't here. Yes. I didn't get to like talk about this on the podcast. We didn't see a ton of them together in that episode. We saw them a little bit, but in this yeah. episode, I liked what we saw. I was like, wait a second. And it like, was barely anything. Yeah. It was like one scene, kind of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So okay. We, we start the episode, Vanessa is at the nurse's station. She's like typing or whatever. Another nurse comes up and she's like, so I heard you and Randall had a date. <laughs> so Vanessa's like, yeah, but I haven't heard from him since. I have a three-day ghosting limit. If I don't hear from him today, we're done. I respect a queen with boundaries. Yes, ma'am. Don't stand for being ghosted. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed that. I think I absolutely think it should be more than a day. Like I, you know, sometimes you just have rough days and you don't get to your phone, but like, I think three is a solid limit for ghosting. If this storyline taught me anything, it's that like, I cannot imagine dating in this like day and time of like life. It uh, sucks. <laughs> I, I imagine, I imagine, I mean, uh, and I'm sure the pandemic didn't make things any better. No, I basically like gave, I mean, the pandemic made it 10 times worse. Oh my God. Okay. So Vanessa's patient, she gets a patient who basically fell going up the stairs and she can't really feel anything in her feet. And so Vanessa's like, all right, let's get Dr. Abrams to consult. This Dr. Abrams moment made me laugh so hard. Like, <laughs> so good. He's so sarcastic and he's kind of an asshole, but I laughed really hard. It was really funny. Cause I'm sure, like, I'm sure it's true, right? Like we all know, I mean, if we've, we've all seen like 20 bajillion medical shows at this point, like the interns and residents, while I'm sure they're smart, you know, they have a lot to learn. And so it's just like, when he's just like, oh, residents, like, it's just like, I'm sure that's how a lot of attendings feel about residents. The way he started and ended that, like, just made me absolutely die. Cause yeah, she's like, really? And he's like, oh, residence. And then he breaks it down. He goes like, he's like, blah, blah, blah. Her tests were normal, whatever. So yeah, really. <laughs> I mean, we don't get obviously a ton of Dr. Abrams, but they use him so well in the mm-hmm. moments we do get him. Like, I feel like if we had him all the time, it would get really old and I'd be really over it, but they use him enough just a couple of times, you know, every now and then that I'm just like, yes, like, it's just, it works so well. With that said, though, I still wouldn't hate it if they ever made him a regular. I'd be excited, actually. I'd be like, finally, we're going to get to know him a little more. Yeah, I wouldn't hate it, but I think 
I think I'd ha- I think I'd just find it annoying like over and over and over again like just seeing it like every episode it's why True. you know we find Dr. Archer annoying I think in the same way mm-hmm. like I think if you got a character like Dr. Archer I think we'd still hate him because his attitude sucks but like I think if you got him in small doses it'd be maybe more manageable I think this is like the reason we love this so much is because it's in small doses I think if we got it every episode for like you know its own storyline I think I'd be like I can't do this anymore even just the way his brain works just cracks me up because he's like he's like yeah you know yeah really whatever so there's nothing neurologically wrong with her is the point and so he goes well she doesn't need me and she doesn't need you and he just throws the clipboard down he's like have at it dan (laughs) yeah i like i said i loved i thought everything about this like he stole the show in this moment like and it worked so well he's hilarious it's really funny yeah so then uh Dr. Charles says hi to Vanessa in the ED. And this is another like absolutely perfect moment. So the the same nurse from before comes up and she's just like, oh, there he is, whatever. And Dr. Charles kind of like reads the room and he's just like, you're dating Dr. Shintu? I love that Dr. Charles has become the gossip this year. Like, I love everything about it so much because it makes sense, right? Like that the therapist who knows everything about everybody and like is the one that people go to with their problems would be the gossip too like it just it makes all the sense in the world and I just think it's hysterical it's so funny it's so funny so Dr. Shintu had texted Vanessa earlier but she's still not sure if it's gonna go anywhere she's like you know how it is we have crazy schedules so then Dr. Charles says something like that was kind of eye-opening for me at least he's like oh millennial romance like complicated world all those dating sites it's like a tyranny of choice and just the notion in this whole story that like the old school way of dating is the non-traditional way now that made me feel really old the old school way of dating meaning like like you meet somebody physically you go on a date all that kind of stuff but i we'll get there we'll save it for i want to have that conversation but we'll save it till we get there okay okay so Dr. Charles talks to the patient and she does not believe that it's psychological. She's just like, what? Like, no, no, that's not what we do. So the daughter's fiance comes to visit, but she has never met him. And that's because it's an arranged marriage. Vanessa doesn't handle this great. Yeah, because obviously there's the stereotype around arranged marriages that like, how can you ever really find love in an arranged marriage? Like, it's an arranged marriage. Like, that is what it is. Yeah. Nobody could ever really want to be in an arranged marriage. It's just, you know, for political or social reasons that that's why you were put together. Yeah. So the the patient's daughter, her name's Varsha. And Varsha's like, you know, here's the thing, though. I've never actually met the guy. And Vanessa just like her filter just goes out the window. She's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like she yeah. acts like she just saw a ghost in the ED. She's mm-hmm. just like, what? Like, oh, my God. And then Varsha walks away and Vanessa's still just like processing. And so she's just saying all of these things to Dr. Charles, but she's being a little judgy. Yeah. Well, I think it's a lot of times too, you think about arranged marriages being, you know, like our parents or, you know, like generations ago, mm-hmm. but they're still, I don't know what the statistics are right now, but they're still pretty common, especially in, you know, certain cultures, but like they're yeah. still pretty common yeah absolutely absolutely i just think for a doctor vanessa's gotta learn to like hold her tongue yeah she's gotta learn a poker face she does not have a poker face yeah not saying that not not saying she handled this badly it's just vanessa like 
No, she just doesn't have a poker face. Yeah. Yeah. Pull it together, honey. Like, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Dr. Charles is like, yeah, you know, I don't know a whole lot about arranged marriages, but you're right. It should be Varsha who's feeling the pressure and all the stress, but it, you know, it's her mother in the hospital bed with symptoms we can't explain. So then Dr. Charles talks to the mom who then has a panic attack when she talks about choosing her daughter's fiance. Turns out it is something called conversion syndrome. This is basically a condition where you are under so much stress and like can't process it that it turns physical in like a really drastic way. Our minds yeah. are fucking crazy. Just they for really those are. Our minds and bodies and the way the two work or don't work together is mm-hmm. just... It's fascinating and scary all at the same time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it turns physical and literally shuts you down. Like, so literally she was so stressed out about her daughter's marriage that like she couldn't move her legs. Yep. She was paralyzed. Basically. What? What? That's insane. Insane. So Varsha talks to her mom about why she doesn't want the marriage. And it turns out that the mom is like, I was miserable while I was married. Like he loved you. He did not love me. I don't want this for you. And so she's just like, you know, I, we don't, you don't have to marry him. We can call it off. And it's a sweet conversation. It's just that the whole time this is happening, Vanessa and Dr. Charles are not discreet about eavesdropping. No, they're basically like they leave the room. They pretend to leave the room, but they like basically stand like right outside the curtains. Yeah, like it's I would feel like they were watching. It's so uncomfortable because like if, you know, if like the window is like here, which I know you guys can't see, but they're just like staying like this the whole time, like staring at them. Like it's so like they don't do a good job of being discreet at all. No, No, not at all. No. Which kind of makes it awkward because, like, how do you have this heartfelt conversation when there's two strangers watching? It's med. What I mean, it's med. When in doubt, it's med. It's med. It's med. So then later on, Varsha and Vanessa have a conversation in the hallway. Varsha, hey, this is none of my business, but listen, are you just getting married to make your mom feel better? No, not at all. I'm doing it for me look on your face (laughs) I had the same reaction when the idea of arranged marriage first came up but then I thought about it and realized my dating life the apps the games the fix-ups yeah no I I know the world (laughs) with Arjun though it's a different path same goal build a love over time hey Varsha this is absolutely no business but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you the super invasive question (laughs) Yeah, and Varsha's like, okay, I will tell you, a stranger, all my personal feelings about my fiancé and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And it's like, okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So she just says, she's like, with Arjun, though, it's a different path. Same goal, build love over time. And this is what makes me feel really old, that, like, the apps and, like, the digital form of dating and everything, that's that's now the traditional way. And the old school way is now, like, the, the weird one. No, but I think, so this is where I was going with this earlier. I think, yeah, I think it's more common just for nowadays for people to start with the apps. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just so much easier to be like, okay, if I want to start dating, I'm going to go to Tinder or Hinge or, you know, whatever, Bumble or, you know, whatever, and like start swiping. That is, I think, the easier way to get into the game. But I think once you're into the game, at least 
everyone that I know or whatever, like the older, the older, the more the what used to be traditional, whatever, the way of like meeting someone in real life or having being set up mm-hmm. is definitely the more preferred way. Like the apps suck. Like everything about Vanessa in this whole situation, I was just like, yes, like it's so draining. It's so annoying when you like start a conversation and then you're ghosted all of a sudden for like it's just like everything about it is just like physically and mentally draining like it would be so much easier just to get set up by friends or like go on a blind date or like meet someone naturally but that's unfortunately just not the way it happens a lot of time nowadays Mm -hmm. so like you're almost kind of forced to go back into the apps but like again the apps suck so it's just like a whole cycle but I think actually the older way of doing things like, you know, meeting someone in real life or, you know, being set up by a friend who's already then basically done the vetting for you, you know, like whatever, because obviously your friend's not going to set you up with someone they think, you know, is like a psycho or whatever. And so I think that is the more preferred way, but it's definitely not the most common just because it's just not anymore. I went on one online date before I met Charlie one. And it was like, I was going to ask you if you ever use the apps. I was on the apps for a little bit, not, not even, I wouldn't even say like a year I was on the apps. I was on the apps for a couple months. Um, I didn't really do anything with it until like, I, I had like a spurt of energy at one point and I went on one date. Dude was also an attorney. Uh, and it was like, it was fine, but it was awkward. Like, yeah, I was I A, had anxiety about it, first off, and B, once I got there, was just like, I just want to be home in my pajamas. Yeah. Well, there's just always too, like, you know, people have different preferences to using the apps too. It's like some people I know are very much like, okay, we've talked for a day. Okay, cool. Let's go meet up for a nap, like, or, you know, meet up for a drink after like one day of talking. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not saying I need to like talk to them forever before I meet up with them, but like you are meeting a random stranger from the internet. Like I, I usually would go like approach it for at least a couple of days before I agree to like meet up again. There's just so much that goes into online dating it's just, it's draining, but it really became, the apps really became big when I was, I want to say my like sophomore year of college, my junior year of college. So like, it was a lot, like I've been on quite a few and it, I mean, they've all been fine. Like I've never had a bad experience from one. I've never met with someone who ended up being a creeper, you know, anything like that, but like, (laughs) they're not like, it just, it's really draining. It's really draining. I can imagine. Yeah. I did have a brief stint on Tinder, but that was more like, I would basically get to the point of like talking to people and then they'd be like, let's meet up. And then I'd be like, but you could be psycho. Like, yeah, you just have to be careful about, you know, you just have to be careful about it. Like, obviously at some point there's always a risk Mm -hmm. just like there isn't anything, but like, that's why you let your friends know where you're going and you always text them when you get there, text them when you, you know, like you go through the whole process of like, yeah, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's really draining. I related to this so hard. I was like, yes. Yeah. I felt really bad for Vanessa. I was just like, girl, oh, that is a bummer. Yeah. So Vanessa and Dr. Charles have this chat in the doctor's lounge. And while they're chatting, Dr. Shentu knocks on the window. Okay. I don't know what it is about the men of one Chicago with windows, but like, It was just a knock. And I was just like, oh, that was kind of (laughs) hot. You know, something about it was like, oh, oh, okay. Like, 
I'm into this. Like, yes, give me more of the like. And they've barely done anything, right? Like, you have the episode where she asked him out on a concert. Like, they interacted, of course, for the patient, but like that. And then he, they didn't talk about it at all last week. There was no conversation about it last week. And in this episode, he knocks on the window. But yet, I'm into it. So, what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> Yeah, just the knock on the window. What is with the one Chicago man and the windows? Oh my God. I don't know, but this was, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so he gives this sly little grin and Vanessa's like, bye. And she goes and then they just walk away. And even then I was just like, I, I don't, this is like two seconds of interaction, but I really like it and I want more. I think we're so desperate for a ship on bed right now because- <laughs> Steve, I mean, obviously, I still like this even regardless of this, right? But we were kind of putting all of our energy into the Will and Stevie, and now Stevie's just gone, which mm-hmm. we can talk about that later, too, when we get to the other part. But, like, we don't have any ships on med because the only one we actually have is Maggie and Ben. Well, we have Dr. Charles and Lonnie, and I guess we have Crockett and Pamela. But one that we actually care about. We don't really have any, except for Maggie and Ben, but we haven't seen Ben in 20 years. Ben? Who's Ben? I remember Ben, I think. So we just, I think we're just so desperate for something, like, and just the slightest sense of, like, enjoying something, we're just like, yes, like, that, that. So that's how I feel right now. I'm like, ooh, Shinchu knocked on the window. That was charming. Give me that. But actually, though. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, it's been nice to see him not be the villain we thought he was gonna be like that's been really nice um so yeah if Shinji wants to stick around by all means stick around I'm here for it yeah and and once Chicago's been doing this lately where they're like here's a villain but wait a second they're not actually a villain now we're gonna make you like them and I'm loving it I'm like no more of that please more I like that yeah like and I don't know how much longer you know Shinji's really gonna be around like I don't know. It seems like maybe for the rest of the season, I would, you know, on and off, of course, on a recurring basis. But like, I don't know. I, I don't know where we're going with this, but I'm not complaining. So just Me neither. have more of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So then at the end of the episode, Dr. Charles gets off the elevator and he meets Lonnie and he's got a gift in hand. Little funny detail I noticed in this scene upon rewatch. Okay. So when Dr. Charles gets off the elevator, he crosses in front of this, like not billboard, but it's like one of those like med advertisement signs. And Uh literally the sign is like Chicago med number one in patient care. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's a lie. (laughs) That's hilarious. Okay. That's hilarious. Number one in patient care in the Midwest. Number one in bombs going off in the ED. Number Are we one in some alternate timeline. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we're stuck in an alternate timeline, like Loki style. Yeah, yeah. I got a good laugh out of that. I was like, oh, that's a big fat lie, but all right, cool, cool. Oh. Um, number one in HIPAA. What's HIPAA? <laughs> yeah yeah so dr charles meets lonnie with a gift and he's just like my dad was really old school like you know maybe some traditions are worth hanging on to just sweet i i'm still like i'm i'm the jury's out on dr charles and lonnie like i'm just kind of waiting to see I'm just where it indifferent. goes like i'm just indifferent like i'm not like i don't hate it by any means like i'm not like oh man this is terrible but like mm-hmm. i don't necessarily love it either like i'm just kind of like okay 
I'm, I'm just kind of waiting to see where it goes. I'm like, okay, it's cute for now. I like it. I like it. I thought it was interesting how Dr. Charles pulled that stat that said, you know, uh, the divorce rate among arranged marriages is only 4%. It's less than 4%. Yeah. I, I wonder though, if that's more of a cultural thing than because these couples actually find love. I think it's probably a little bit of both too, right? Like, I think it's, I think it's definitely probably cultural and that I'm sure in a lot of those cultures where arranged marriage is prevalent, that divorce is also really frowned upon. Yeah. So I think it's probably part of that, but it kind of gets back to too. I think one of the reasons why I think even now, especially in the dating app culture, like being set up by your friends or, you know, being, you know, on a blind date or, you know, meeting someone, I think it's nice to have been vetted because like you said, you know, that it may not work out. Like you may not have chemistry with the person. You may have a bunch of other problems or whatever, but like the person who like sets you up on that blind date knows that like, Hey, you have this in common. Like there's already some kind of connection there, even if it doesn't, that relationship doesn't work out. And I think arranged marriages kind of end up being the same way, right? Like there is a reason they put you together for the most part. Like it may not, I mean, yeah, I'm sure a lot of it is for political and social reasons, but like, I'm sure part of it too is like personalities and, you know, whatever. And like something about already having that connection before you've actually met, I think helps too. Yeah. Yep. So. And like when Varsha finally meets Arjun, it seems very nice, like very, you know. Yeah. There's, um, on never have I ever, which you haven't watched, but, Mm -hmm. um, there's a arranged marriage type example in that show. Well, they haven't gotten married yet. They're in kind of that, like getting to know you stage. And like, at first, um, the character's like, I don't know if I really, you know, like, I don't know how I feel about that. Cause she's very much like, she's a woman in STEM and she's trying to, you know, like fight against the patriarchy and whatever, mm-hmm. and like show that she belongs in STEM. And so she's like, I don't know if I want to be like arranged marriage or whatever. And then she meets the guy and she's like, Oh, like this, I actually kind of like him. Like, I don't think he's going to be that bad. So, um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I, yeah, I, I, my plan is to speed through season two of upload this, this weekend and then catch up daredevil and then I can start new shows. Yeah. I've been like, I tried to watch Russian doll last, was that last week? You couldn't do it. I could, I watched two episodes. I did not like it. It's. From what I remember, because I feel like season one came out like a million years ago, it's yeah, it came out in twenty nineteen. Oh shit! And it took three years for season two. Well, pandemic. I mean, I think they were supposed to start filming in twenty twenty, and then twenty twenty happened. So, like, you know, jeez. But um, yeah, I couldn't do it. But I've like caught up currently. Like, I caught up recently on Station nineteen and nine like I'm caught up on like kind of stuff that's currently airing and then I'm trying to go back and I don't know Daredevil maybe next I don't know what I'm gonna watch next Daredevil better be next I was gonna do the Russian doll because it was like a quick binge right and then I don't know yeah I need you to do Daredevil because I need somebody to be trash with about Charlie Cox yeah well now it's on Disney plus I can yeah, so it's a sign. You got to do Daredevil. Yeah, I also need to do the current season with Maisel too. So we'll see what comes first. But um, next episode, I will hopefully be done with upload by then. We're gonna need to do a TV roundup because I'm kind of obsessed with upload. But that's more for the fire section since Andy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We digress. 
Yeah. So Dr. Charles Mitsulani, it's super cute. Maybe some traditions are worth holding on to. I thought it was nice. Um, but yeah, so, so on board with Vanessa and Dr. Shentu. More of that, please. I'm not, I'm like, not at Hakami level. Like that's going to take a lot. No, we're definitely, we're definitely not at Hakami level in any sense of them. We're not there yet. No, but like there's interest. I'm just kind of like, tell me more. I'm definitely in, I'm definitely like on board with the idea of this. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So next up we've got Crockett and like this man, he was such a little bean in this episode. This storyline like broke my heart into 20 million pieces. Yeah. Oh my God. It was, it was heartbreaking, but also like protect Crockett at all costs at all times, please. Yeah. Yes. Take it away. Always. Yes. Um, so we started off and like I said, this is kind of where you had a bunch of people in the storyline. You had Cro- it's Crockett's storyline, but then you've got Dylan weaving in and out. You've got Archer weaving in and out. You've got Dr. Blake weaving it. You've got a lot of things going on. Mm-hmm. So this patient that is originally Dylan's patient, you know, pediatrician, like it's originally Dylan's patient because it's a baby. And he, he brings in Crockett to consult and it really ultimately becomes Crockett's patient. So it's a baby. And like, again, Crockett with kids, especially babies, I just, I die. I die. Oh my God. Like, I really need to start like making a list of everything that's like one Chicago ASMR. Cause like literally him talking to this baby, total ASMR. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like, hi, Kayla. I'm like, oh my God. My God. My remaining ovary is going to explode. But actually, though. Oh my gosh. Yep. So the baby. It's like I don't know, a couple weeks old, probably, but it's been having some issues. And what we end up finding out is Crockett goes from like zero to surgery in two seconds. So basically, we end up finding out that the baby's intestines are dead. And it ends up turning out to be it's from a birth defect. And basically, the only way to fix it is a transplant. But of course, being that the baby is a baby, you can only get a transplant from another baby. So obviously, super rare. So. It, it sucks and it look it's looking not good in the beginning mm-hmm. it's like oh fuck the baby's gonna die isn't it that was immediately my thought i was like oh yeah this baby's gonna die yeah right so then meanwhile you have dr archer who gets a couple who that was in like a really bad accident and of course i mean like right away the the dad is like done he's basically brain dead and same with the mom but of course the mom turns out to be pregnant because of course she is what a coincidence right duh so mom pregnant brain dead and so again we have this holy shit like heartbreaking situation thing going on so her parents come in and so the baby's grandparents and we basically they're presented with two options you can either deliver the baby but the baby's only 32 weeks so of course it would be premature and potentially face any obstacles that come with you know being delivered prematurely but you can also wait but then if you have issues where even though the mom's brain dead like if the mom vitals start to drop or whatever you know the mom tanks basically then of course there's the risk that the baby will too yada 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 but ultimately the grandparents decide, okay, we're like, we're going to deliver. So they take her into surgery and they're going to get ready to start the delivery process. And of course the mom crashes. This was some horror movie shit. This was really graphic. Um, what is her name? I can never remember her name. Dr. Dr. Pachinski. Yeah. Yeah. 
So she comes in and immediately, like, she literally scrubs in as fast as I've ever seen anyone scrub in, like, cuts open the mom, pulls the baby out by the head. I mean, it's like, it's a lot. It's a horror movie. She, like, takes a knife and just goes, like. Yeah. Yeah. Very graphic. And then she just, like, there's, like, no precision to it or anything. She's just, like, reaches in and pulls out a baby. Yeah. And so she passes the baby on to Crockett. And of course, Crockett is like trying to get the baby to like cry because that's the sign, you know, that the baby's okay. And he's just like, come on, cry for me. And like, finally the baby, it's just like, oh my God, just like the whole thing. I'm just like, we can't do this. And like Archer the whole time, Archer has no idea what Crockett's been through. Right. Like, so he's Mm -hmm. just kind of like, why is Crockett so invested? This is weird. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So of course the baby's not okay too not okay either so the grandparents though are in denial in the beginning they're like well he's hooked up to these machines it's all gonna be okay right and they're like yeah no if you ever take him off the machines like you can't take him off the machines and eventually that's not gonna work either like you know like whatever but of course like you feel for these grandparents because not only did they lose I don't remember if it's the dad's parents or the mom's parents, but the they mom's lost, parents. You know, yeah. So like they lost their daughter, their son-in-law and now their grandchild all in one day. Like that's, that's a lot. That's heavy. Yeah. So finally they accept that their grandson is gone and they want the baby to be an organ donor. And so they're like, great. Okay. We'll get it scheduled, you know, whatever, all the things. And so Crockett runs into Pamela in the hallway and he's like telling her the news and she's like, great. Okay. You know, it's a match. Awesome. This is great. And Crockett just tells her, he's like, I, I need to run this one. He's like, and she's like, and I'll be the assistant. And he's like, yeah. And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I need to run this one. And I will say, I didn't hate Dr. Blake in this episode at all. I really did appreciate the fact that like, she wasn't trying to be like, cause she could have very easily been like, no, this is my OR. Like I'm your senior, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm doing the transplant. But she did get, and she understood that, like, even though she didn't know the details, like, she knew that something was up. And, like, I really appreciated the fact that she was just like, okay, like, this is yours. I got, like, you said you need to do it. Like, I got it. And it shows how, even though the relationship may not be perfect, how much it's grown because she trusts him enough to be like, all right, like, something's up. I trust you to handle it. Go ahead. Well, and this is the first time we've seen them, like, Again, I've never, I'm still not a fan of the Crockett and Blake relationship at this time. And it wasn't even, I mean, in the end episode or the end scene too, which we'll get to in a second, but it's the first time I saw some sort of actual connection. Mm -hmm. It was the first time I was like, okay, like this is what I needed to see. Like, I I was like, oh, okay, I got it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so like I said, I really appreciated it. So basically transplants and success. Um, and then they're in the baby from earlier's room and Goodwin comes in and she's like, actually the grandparents from the donor, you know, the donor's grandparents like would like to meet the baby. And we just have this really sweet moment and the grandparents come in and they embrace these two, like, if not teenage parents, they're like 20, you know, like they're very, they're very young Mm -hmm. who, and they don't have any family. So it's just the two of them. And you've got these grandparents and you just, it's a really heavy moment, but also really beautiful and inspiring. Cause I think it, it very much felt like, okay, these two families who are very, you know, separate from each other before them now have formed like this one new family. And it was just, 
I, I don't know. It was just very, I was like crying by the end of last night. I was like, I it was very this touching. Is- and I love, I loved how good when phrase it, she just watched them and she was like, they seem like a new family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then the last scene to kind of wrap up this storyline is we've got Crockett and Dr. Blake up on the green screen roof balcony. And we have this nice moment. You were really dialed in this afternoon. You own that OR. Yeah. Case it close to home. Oh? I had a daughter. Harper. Lost her too soon. Leukemia. I'm sorry. You know, for a long time, the memory of her was my, uh, my greatest weakness. Well, today it seemed like a source of real strength. I love what Pamela says here, how he's like, I used to think this was my greatest weakness. And then she's like, no, you showed today that it's like one of your greatest strengths. Yeah. This is how we get tunnel vision and like the mindset to just go, go, go and channel that energy in a good, positive way. Looking at you, Dr. Connor Rhodes, wherever you may be. Yeah, for sure. And like I said earlier, I mean, this scene as well, I thought, like I said, this was just like, I don't know if I'll ever really fully be behind Crockett and Blake, but if they keep having moments like this, maybe I'll turn my, you know, opinion around. Like, I really enjoyed that moment. Um, I just, I thought it was really sweet. I think it obviously says a lot too that prior to this, the only person that we know that Crockett has ever told about his daughter is Natalie. Yeah. So like the fact that he decided to tell Pamela, like that says a lot about how he's feeling about her and, you know, their relationship. And it it says a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. The other thing I thought was really good about this story was that it it highlighted just how good Crockett is at his job. Yeah. Uh, Because, yeah, I mean, he was full steam ahead and very, like, emotionally involved. But when it came down to it, he was able to, you know, take his skill set and channel it and take that energy and emotion and channel it into that skill set. So it just highlighted what a good doctor he is. Well, and it didn't impede his medical decisions, right? Like it didn't, it, exactly. he didn't let it affect him to the fact where he was like, no, I think we need to do it this way when clearly that's not like the right medical decision or whatever. Yeah. Like he used it to fuel him and to fuel like how passionate he was about making sure everything was done right. But he still did everything the right way. Yeah. Um, Which I also, other characters would not do. Um, right. Take note, so. every single other doctor at med. Yeah. So um, we had some listener thoughts on this. Um, Danielle M said, another case involving a sick child. Hasn't this man been through enough? Um, It was a nice moment out on the balcony when he told Dr. Blake about losing his daughter to leukemia, even though I'm not a big fan of them together. Like I said, I agree. I thought it was a nice moment. We'll see what happens next. (laughs) By out on the balcony, you mean in front of the green screen. Yeah. (laughs) No, but I'm, I'm totally impressed with actors' abilities to like act in front of a giant green sheet you know, that's impressive to me. I just, it's just funny to laugh at. Yeah. Because um, it's just so obvious. Goodness. It's like the virtual background on Zoom. Like Crockett moves and then there's like a little shadow of light <laughs> around him that moves with him. Like, uh, that green screen. 
Megan R also said Crockett and Dylan is a great combination that I would love to see more of and a nice change of pace from him and Dr. Blake. Also more Crockett with kids too. Yes. To yes. all of that. Yes. Yeah. The Crockett Dylan partnership is pretty great. Yeah. Um, Jess B said Crockett and Sharon's storyline with the two babies was so heart wrenching, but Dominic and Apatha's acting was so mwah, chef's kiss that I kind of loved it as well. I thought the balcony green scheme looked better this week for five <laughs> seconds. Anyway, I feel bad because Crockett was talking about his daughter, but I didn't feel much in that scene just because I'm so mad on Crockett and Blake. I felt more when he was performing surgery and interacting with the babies. Yeah. My mom actually watched Med this week. She like hates Med, so she only watches Fire and PD. She actually watched it and she sent me a message like at one point. And she's like, I don't like Donna playing a doctor. I'm like, mom, like put Donna out of your head. Donna is fictional. Suits is no more. Like she is a new character. Yeah. It's funny. So moving into William. Oh, well, 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 well. Okay. So. Remember last week, Will got the huge like $1.2 million settlement because like, hell yeah, hell yeah. So Will's relatives are ringing him off the hook for loans. His cousin's on the phone with him. And so now we know that he's got a cousin named Kevin and a cousin named Moira, right? Kevin. Was his name Kevin? No, I don't think so. He said his name on the call though. I don't remember. I got to watch that again, but okay. So now we know Jay and Will have at least two cousins. So is this cousin related to Moira? Like, is this a side of the family? That's kind of cray cray. I have questions. So his cousin calls him because he wants a loan to start a cannabis clinic. Yeah. Great. So Maggie's like, what the hell? And Will's just like, uh, yeah, relatives are coming out of the woodwork, not a peep out of them when I was living on Jay's couch. So just like write that down. He does remember that he has a brother. Oh, that was a nice callback. I kind of forgot that he lived on Jay's couch for a hot second. And we got not one, not two, but like three Jay mentions in this episode. I know. It, it would only have been better if Jesse himself was in this episode. Right? Right. So Will's like, I am not like playing around with this money. I'm getting out of debt. I'm locking the rest in savings and keeping it there. That is a good plan, Will. Go do that. Like, stop what you're doing right now. Go do that and come back. Because <laughs> that is a good mm-hmm. plan. That is a good, safe plan. So his patient has long haul COVID symptoms. The guy had COVID. He was in the ICU for like three months. And then he's had all sorts of stuff since he's had like sinus infections, pneumonia, all sorts of awful issues. So they run some tests. They call in the pulmonologist. He has fungal pneumonia, which sounds horrible. Yeah, that sounds awful. And he gets there. He they want him to get a CT to better define the infection, but he doesn't want it. He's like, no, this is the worst. I'm claustrophobic. Like, no. So the pulmonologist is like, you know what? I think we can get by without it. Like, that's fine. We'll skip it. So then meanwhile, Will is back out in the ED and he's looking at something and Maggie comes up and it's like, what are you doing? So he mentions that Atwater invested in a small apartment building. And now because of that, Jay thinks Will should get into real estate. Bad idea. I'm dying. I'm like, do you, have you met your brother, Jay? That's a horrible idea. Yeah. Take it from someone whose family is in real estate. It's a bad idea. <laughs> Will is just not, he, he's not cut out for that. Like the real estate market is way too chaotic for Will. It's a bad, tell me, as, as someone whose family is doing that right now, it is 
don't do it, Will. Not it's, in this market. Don't do it. No, no. Jay should know that too. Like if anybody in the Halstead family should be getting into real estate, it's Jay. Cause Jay's like the sound mind. Will is too frantic. Yeah. Will, no, it's the worst idea I've ever heard. But also like, I love, love, love the mention that like Kevin got into real estate. So Jay thinks I should too. Like, yeah, I thought that was great. That thank was, you. that's like the little references. Like we don't ask for much, but especially if we're not getting like a giant crossover, like just more little references like that. I love, like, that's all I need. Those are the little details that make one Chicago so special. Yeah. Like yeah. I just need little references like that every now and then. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the patient starts coughing up blood. And so now they're getting the CT and basically we find out that COVID formed a cavity in his lung. Mm -hmm. You can get cavities in your lungs. You've never heard of that. No. Oh yeah. Are you Googling it? Am I like going to have nightmares over what you find? I mean, it's just like a space within your lung. I, I, I feel like that's, I mean, not common, but like at least the medical shows it's common. I feel like. New fear unlocked. Yeah. I was just over here watching like, I thought you could only get cavities in your teeth. Oh, no. It just means like a space in your, you know, in your That's lungs. what it means in your tooth. Yeah, but I don't know. I'm going to Google heard- this and I'm going to hate it. I don't know. I just feel like maybe I don't. I just felt like that was common. Like just straight up cavity. Yeah. Just a normal thick walled air filled space within the lung. So in this cavity there, that's where the fungus like formed. It's like a full on mass. Gross. Mm-hmm. Um, terrifying. So they basically present him the treatment options. They're like, we could either hit it directly with antibiotics or you could have a lobectomy, which is the thing they wanted to do to Stella and that one crossover a seasons ago. And they just want to like remove part of the lung. And so the guy's just like, you know what? Like, let's take a chance and let's do the surgery. And obviously we know that whatever's going on with the patients typically mirrors what's happening in the doctor's life. So he's like, let's take a chance. Let's do the surgery. I'm like, oh shit. Will's going to invest in the real estate. Yep. Oh No. Oh no. I know. I was like, why? So then Will comes back. Um, Will like goes and looks at the property. He comes back and he basically gets a notification on his phone and he's super psyched. His offer got accepted Mm -hmm. that quickly. And this market, seriously, the market's insane. He must've come in so high over asking price. It's like, literally insane like people come out of the woodworks these days like we have a bunch of real estate and like the, we get postcards like every day from people being like I want to buy your house I want to buy your whatever like I'll pay cash and I'm just like <laughs> we got a bunch of those like wild. right after we moved into the house I was like we just got here leave us alone we get them every day and like there will be ones because we we own a bunch and so we'll get ones and like sometimes we've shown up like off open the mailbox and there's like literally like a stack because it's all from the same person but for like every house you know you own and I'm just like these people are wasting so much money on these like really nice postcards and so much time wasting paper drives me insane I'm just like but yeah like the market is insane it's crazy he must have come in so high over asking price which sounds so much like will but like, what is Will going to do with an apartment building? Like exactly. Will is not going to be a landlord. So then he's going to have to find somebody to manage it for him. It's just mm-hmm. not like, Will, what are you doing? 
What are you doing? Will, you are many things. A business mogul is not one of them. You are not a landlord. Will is not a landlord. No. No way. He's not a property manager either. Not at all. Not at all. Will has many talents in this life, but that is not one of them. (laughs) Just imagine someone like one of his tenants calling him about like their toilet overflowing, you know, like leaking or whatever. Just like all the random shit that I have to deal with at work. And I'm just like... I can't see Will doing it. Me neither. Me neither. Oh my God. So Will's patient asks for him. So he goes to see him. The guy didn't have the surgery after all. So I think this is a little dose of foreshadowing. The guy's like, you know what? Spur the moment decisions, like especially risky ones. That's not me. You were right. There's no problem with playing it safe. Oh. Yeah. I, I, I'm guessing we'll see some kind of disaster strike Will in, you know, the next couple of episodes. Disaster? Will Halstead? Never. I mean, he's got a big one coming for him, as we know. <laughs> yeah, Hurricane Hannah is headed his way. Yes. Direct hit. Oh, yeah. man. Oh, man. Is that what this is supposed to foreshadow? I I don't know if it's supposed to foreshadow the Hannah thing or if it's supposed to foreshadow, like, the real estate going terribly. Or both. Either one would not surprise me. Or both. Like, he's such a mess, but I love him so much. Yeah. Oh, my God. So we got some listener thoughts on this. Megan R said, I'm just glad Will knows Jay exists. Now, if he would acknowledge that he knows his brother is married, that would be great. Yeah. We just need like a, oh, Haley, yeah, my sister-in-law comment. I just need it. I just need that one comment and then I'm fine. I need him to introduce her to somebody and be like, Miss Goodwin, you know my sister-in-law, Haley. Just say it's so subtle that we're all just like, oh! Yeah. Um, Jess B said, I will. I love Will, but I had to laugh so hard in the scene when the patient was backing out of the surgery. It was just such a, oh shit, what did I just do moment. I really hope they don't make Will lose all his money over this real estate thing, though. At least we got a Jay mention out of it. I guess Will does remember he's a brother after all. Oh my God. I didn't even think of him losing all of his money, but it's such a Will thing to do. I just don't understand. Okay. So Will says, right, like he was going to pay his bills and like get out of debt. And then with the whatever leftover money, he was going to put into savings, right? <laughs> Did Will spend all $1.2 million on that apartment building? Because those things ain't cheap. I don't know how much, like, I don't think he bought it. Say if he had like $500,000 left after, he, you know, medical school and whatever. Like, I don't think that building would have been bought with 500000 but maybe I'm wrong. Is half a million a realistic amount of medical school debt to be in? I don't know. I was just thinking like if he had other debt too, like if you said 250,000 went to medical school and then another 250,000 went to any kind of other debt he had, that was just me guessing. I don't know. Okay. So I'm playing the Zillow game because we know that he got this building in Canaryville, right? So yes, there's actually some bang for the buck in Canaryville based on what I'm seeing. Okay. So I'm seeing a house here Eight beds, four bath for $399, $999. That's not terrible. Yeah, but that's probably condition is probably shit. But also it's an apartment building. It's different than a house. Yeah, I'm trying to find like. That looked like, a, I don't know, like a six or 10 unit apartment building. You know, not like a big one, but not something small either. Seven beds, three baths for 440,000. And that's off Emerald Avenue, which is where Aaron Lindsay lived. Don't ask me how I remember that. (laughs) 
I remember I don't everything. Know. I just okay, but still, by the time you pay real estate, you know, whatever, it, five hundred thousand. Maybe he could have bought it with that. I but just, knowing Will, he totally would have come in an unnecessary amount over asking. Yeah. With the market being crazy, you've already got to come in thirty to fifty over asking. It wouldn't surprise me if he dropped like a hundred thousand extra. Oh, at least. Because he's a mess. Yeah. Oh wait, this this little this building is so cute. <laughs> now you want to move to Chicago? I want to move to I've wanted to move to Chicago since forever. The only other places on this earth that I would move aside from Texas would be Chicago and Wilmington, North Carolina. Fair. Well, the outside's super cute. It looks kind of old on the inside, but. Yeah. Oh, and that's a whole other thing is like, say Will bought it for a good price, right? Because it needs some work. Will trying to spend the money to do the real, the updates, because obviously all of that has gone up because inflation. So like trying to buy, you know, stuff to renovate is ridiculous too. Oh man. Um, I never knew I needed it until right now, but whoever wrote Sprucing Up Chicago, I need a sequel with Will trying to oh like- Oh my God, Katie, Katie, yeah. get on it. I Katie. I need a sequel where Will does all the DIY stuff. Yes. Oh my God. There's like a whole season worth of med episodes and him trying to DIY his way through the apartment building. <laughs> Like, oh, the contractor's here. Let's do something with this circle saw. Oh, shit. He just stabbed himself with it. <laughs> like, oh, my God. No, what we need is, like, the spinoff of Sprucing Up Chicago, where Matt Casey is the one who does the contracting work with, Will. like, Will puts in his input to Casey. That is really what we need. Does Katie listen to us? I hope she does. I think she does. If not, I'm going to message her after this and oh my God. tell her she needs to listen to our med portion because we just gave her a new fanfic idea. You know how anytime you see Tom Holland do press and he talks about like, have you ever seen him talk about his Spider-Man impression? No. So he'll, he, he does a Peter Parker impression where he's like, oh, hey, hi, you guys. Like, what's up? He's like kind of frantic. That's how I imagine Will in every single facet of this. just like oh your toilet's clogged okay i'm coming like (laughs) it would be so true though oh i love will so much but like this is not a will thing to do it's gonna be such a mess it's gonna be such a shit show pun intended yeah yep (sighs) but i'm here for it i will watch every second yeah oh man Oh man, indeed. Indeed. You know what? Let me look at for, well, no, not even for rent. I'm still on Zillow trying to find like anything in Canaryville. I should have done that earlier. I love the Zillow I got distracted by March Madness. Yeah, that's a whole other, is Connecticut still losing? Uh, yes. They just lost. They literally just lost. (gasps) Well, my bracket's fucked. How about yours? Yeah, I had them winning. Not fucked, but I had them going to the next round. I had them. Yeah, I had them as well. Let me let me pull my bracket. My bracket hasn't been fucked yet. It's just more like people, teams I thought were going to round two did not make it to round two. But nothing's been like super fucked yet. I don't think I had UConn going far, but like this doesn't help. If my bracket would load. There we go. Okay, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. My bracket. Okay, Kentucky's winning. So... With Welcome to March left. Madness at Molly's. Yeah. Um, so. Kentucky's yeah, winning? Okay, good. 
yeah here's your I'm March super Madness fucked if they get the upset middle. yeah but anyway but anyway we've like really gone off the rails tonight it's us when are we not off the rails yeah but like this is like really off the rails i had yeah i had yukon but i don't think i had them going to the next round no i did well shit but i had them out in the sweet 16 oh Mm. whatever anyway chicago (laughs) chicago um if anybody does a bracket in one chicago it's definitely not will Who does do a bracket in Chicago? Uh, Kevin, Dylan, Dylan, um, Ethan, Crockett, Crockett, Ethan. Yeah, yeah. I could see Goodwin knowing a lot about college basketball and being a total stunner for everybody. Everybody was like, Miss Goodwin won the bracket pool. I could see Maggie doing one. Oh hell yeah. Um, I feel like maybe that's it on Med. So on fire, Gallo. Would definitely do one. All the squad guys. All the squad guys. All the squad guys for sure. Gallo for sure. Violet for sure. Yep. Um, I think that might be it. I don't think Herman does one. Does Stella do one? Yes. Yes, she does. Stella does one. And she trash talks Kelly the entire time. I think Bowden does one. I could see him either way. I could see him doing one or I could see him being like basketball is not my thing. Yeah. And then over on PD, Jay, Ad, or Adam, Jay, Kevin, and Haley. You don't think Adam does one? I think he does sometimes. Maybe not all the time, but I think sometimes. Yeah, I don't think he knows anything about college basketball, though. I think he just plugs teams in for the fun of it. And then Boyd is just like, Go he back doesn't to want work. to be left out. Yeah. Platt. Platt probably wins the whole damn pool. Yeah, for sure. Oh, man. March Madness when Chicago style. I love it. <laughs> That's a one shot I would read also. Yeah. And they, of course, obviously get together all weekend, the first weekend at Molly's and watch all the games. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Obviously. See, we made it relevant. Yeah. We, t- we eventually, we started with Will and his like renovation show and we ended up at March Madness. So we made it work. As we do. As we do. Um, did you already read, read what Jess said? Yes. Okay, perfect. So next up in the hospital, we've got Dylan. We love Dylan. This storyline, though. I like it better than the Carmen and Terrell one. Yep, I said it. Wow. Wow. I said it. Okay, because I don't think I do. I think I'd rather have Carmen, but. Take it away. Okay, so basically, like I said, Dylan was kind of in the Crockett storyline in the beginning, and then he branches off and he gets his own storyline where he starts working on this patient who's supposedly, as we figure out, it's basically a cover, whose patient's wife stabbed him with scissors. With scissors. And And he he claims it was like a sex injury. Yeah, he he makes some joke about how, like, it's passion, you know, how they didn't realize it was going to be that passionate or whatever. And I was like, okay. Kinky. Whatever. Um, he's going to be fine, whatever, but Dylan's like, okay, well, you're technically going to be fine. You can technically walk out of here, but I really would prefer the surgeon go in and like, take an actual, like deeper look at the wound. And he's like, just, and Dylan's like, just think about it. Just think about it. 
So all of a sudden, Dylan gets this weird anonymous text message that tells him to like meet him outside. Um, and of course, it ends up being Melina. And she's like, I need this patient discharged. And Dylan's like, what? And she's like, yeah. And Dylan pretty much soon, pretty re- he really realizes pretty quickly that um, it's because this guy is a CI. And this guy is brokering a meet tonight that if it doesn't go down, then, you know, her case is all fucked. And Dylan's just like, so because you're jammed up, you're going to jam me up. He pretty much confirms without confirming that she's a cop. It's pretty obvious at this point she's a cop. Oh, yeah. They just haven't said the words, I'm a cop. She just hasn't said that yet. Yeah. But so... And Dylan doesn't either, like, he doesn't technically agree or disagree with her either. He doesn't agree to do it, but he doesn't say he's not going to do it. But he goes back in the hospital, and we realize that he has agreed to do it because he talks the guy out of surgery. And it's just like, dude. Dude. You know you have fucked up when you set off Maggie's spidey senses. When Maggie's like, the fuck did you just do? You have fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, and Dylan knows it too right away. He, like, knows that he's like, I don't agree with this. But, like, the cop in him takes over and, mm-hmm. like, wins out over the doctor in him, which, like, I don't know. Oh, so, my God, that's another fanfic I would read. It would be, like, something like like a prequel or something, like, Dylan as a cop. Oh, my God. I, I just want know. more. I want to know more about Dylan and Kevin being friends. I just, I need to know how he knows Jay. Like, I need all those gaps filled in he obviously doesn't know jay that well if when his wife came in he was like who are you yeah yeah so dylan sends his patient off like he said you know doesn't have to have surgery whatever and he goes back outside to talk to melina melina i gotta assume that's your cover what's your real name when the case is over is this someone's flirting? I don't know, but I'm intrigued. This is weird. I, I think I think it's the intrigue is why I'm liking this more than the Carmen and Terrell stuff. I'm just I'm interested. I'm like, okay, but I want to I want to know more about Milena. Like, is she a drug dealer? Is she a cop? Like, and is there chemistry? Are we gonna do something? I guess that I just don't understand, like. What is Dylan's angle in all of this? Like, is he in, is he, is he doing this because he's interested in Milena? Is he doing it because he still wants to be a cop and this is like fueling that part of him? Like, what is Dylan's point of doing all of this? I think that he wants, he, I, I think he just, he knows how this goes. He knows what this is like. He's probably worked some undercover cases before and he knows the grind. And so this is just him helping out. But by ruining his medical, like his reputation as a doctor? He works at med. What does he care? No, but like, this is not, I mean, like you can't, and this is, I think where I'm having the issue with it. And especially because it's Dylan and this is the first time we're really seeing Dylan's ethics being tested mm-hmm. and Dylan's kind of moving out of that. Like everything is perfect. He can do no wrong to like the, maybe he's human tier for me, mm-hmm. but like, I guess I just, I wanted Dylan to be better and this is not Dylan being better. Like he's not a cop anymore. He can't stop. He can't keep doing cop things when he's not a cop. 
No, but I think I think I think cop stuff is his soft spot. You know, like how how babies and children, that's Crockett's soft spot. This is his soft spot. Right, but that's a totally different thing between like having a soft spot for a baby as your patient and like technically breaking the rules and doing other things that you're not supposed to do are like those are two separate things. Will's soft spot is solely breaking the rules. Like breaking the rules is his soft spot. He's like, yeah, I have but the Will chance for to me is not been in perfect territory since like season one. So <laughs> for me, like whatever at this point mm-hmm. i think for me like i'm dylan starting to move down into like the more messy tears and i just i don't like to see it i mean but also i think dylan's wrong for putting his cop stuff for like he's not a cop anymore he is not a cop anymore see and i i really hated how last week everybody was coming down on him for that because his instincts helped him I think he's, I think this, this week he's giving into the not so good side of that. Last week, I think he was, he was playing, he was playing to his strengths as a cop and the note, the, the, the knowledge he has as a former cop. But he was breaking the, like he was breaking all of the doctor code. Like you can't do that shit. That's how you get in trouble. And that's how you lose your license. Like you can't do that shit. Not at I know this is med and this is argument. <laughs> not at med. On, I know. But what I'm saying is, is that like, that is how you. That is like, ugh, it drives me up a wall. I mean, I think these doctors at this point realize that in the hospital they're at, there are no rules. Like, I don't, I just, I don't know. It's a fair point though. It, it, it's a, it, it is a good point, but I think his, I think, I think his instincts are taking over. And I think it's just the fact that he, he knows what that's like to work an undercover case. That's like when I go I to Starbucks. I think he's going to learn the lesson the hard way and he's yeah. going to something's gonna happen he's gonna get punished or she's gonna die or something like that. i mean he's gonna like learn that lesson the hard way and i think he's gonna regret having gotten involved in it he might have already learned that lesson the hard way given the end of this i i think so so basically the way this ends is the guy comes back in and he has bullet wounds and you know maggie's just like well who is this guy to you and he's just like no one like i just met him today doesn't really seem like that well this guy may be no one to you but Milena certainly isn't and like yeah that's a big fat lie Maggie what has she dragged you into Mm -hmm. yep um did you notice the little like toy things that Dylan has on his stethoscope yeah I thought that was the cutest thing in the world yeah it's really common in pediatric like for pediatricians to have something like that that's adorable yeah adorable yeah I'm just I'm I'm intrigued I'm just like okay you know what I'm intrigued I'm just, I'm just, I'm interested. I'm, I'm not, I guess I don't hate this, but I was more intrigued with Carmen because like the Carmen and Dylan stuff, like there's a history there and mm-hmm. like, we still don't know the whole thing. And I'm sure that storyline is not over. Mm-hmm. So like, I just, I was way more into that. I think Milena, I'm just, again, I'm annoyed because Dylan seems to not realize that he's not a cop anymore and he is a doctor and he needs to put his doctor stuff first. And I just, Yeah. See, and that doesn't bug me as much. It just doesn't. It really bugs me. It really bugs me. Um, I do think if he like falls back into this pattern of like his old cop ways that he's got to be fire cop sidekick. You got to have fire cop and doctor cop. But, but see, there's a difference between that because fire cop, there is a branch of the CFD that is solving arson cases, like playing cop. There is a difference. I will die on this hill. I'm going to die on this hill this season. Man. 
<laughs> I don't know why this got me so wound up, but like, I will die on this hill. Cut there you in a- some slack, Bryna. Damn. No, no, <laughs> I'm not. But anyway. I don't know. So we got some listener thoughts on this. Danielle M said, I like Dylan and I know his background is a cop, but I think tonight he crossed a line. Thank you. <laughs> he needed to do what was best for his patient and not what the UC wanted him to do. I also have a feeling that there's going to be a hookup at some point between the two of them. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jess B said, I don't know what the fandom consensus is on Milena since we don't know her real name still. Or if we're meant to not like her after this week, but I kind of like her. And I'm really feeling some vibes between her and Dylan. I'd be okay with this being a thing. See, Jess is on my side. Yeah. I just, yeah. Did you know that the actress who plays Milena was the girl in the very first scene of the newsroom who asked the question to Jeff Daniels? Yes, I did. She's been on like 20 bajillion other things too. We owe her for the newsroom. Like- she is the one we she's the one responsible for the whole damn show yes yeah i know i did know that was her um i also know her from she was on roswell new mexico for a while i'm intrigued i'm intrigued and plus she's the reason we got the newsroom so like infinite respect yes newsroom god i want to rewatch that show that show in this day and age would be so crazy I know I do. And now you make me really want to go back and watch the Osama Bin Laden episode is my favorite episode. I oh love that episode. my God. I, now you make me want to go back and rewatch that it. episode is amazing. The Gabby Giffords episode is amazing. Yeah. They're all, it's all really good. Chris, when you use a Coldplay song, it's going to make anything amazing. That it's whole show good. is just, Mwah. it was ahead of its time. Damn it. It really was. I would only want to reboot with the original cast. I would not want a new cast. Oh, no. It has to be Jeff Daniels. It has to be all of them. Yes. Emily Mortimer, all of them. Yeah. Oh, that's just amazing. Hmm. Anyway. Okay. Um, last up, we've got a little bit of Goodwin stuff in here. So um, did we know Goodwin has a daughter? I knew we met the son, but I don't feel like we knew that Goodwin has a daughter, but maybe it was, maybe we did at some point. I don't know. Yeah. So Goodwin has a daughter and she's pregnant. Goodwin's going to be a grandma. I feel like this is going to come up in later episodes. Like why else throw that in there? Oh yeah. Everything else that happened in this episode, it's too perfect. Yeah. Like it was just, and like they made such a big deal, right? She tells Dr. Charles and Dr. Charles is like, oh my god why didn't you tell me beforehand and you like they have a whole moment about it like i feel like that's too like they don't just drop that in without it coming up in later episodes i feel the way about the goodwin and dr charles moments that i do about uh the dr abrams like one-liners like it's tiny but it's always wonderful oh my god it's amazing their friendship like the goodwin dr charles friendship has always been really good Mm -hmm. but this year I don't know. It's just been on like a whole other level. Sweet, sweet besties. Yeah. It's good. It's really good. So at the very end of the episode, Goodwin and Dr. Archer are having dinner and they're discussing this new emergency OBGYN service that they're implementing in the ED and they need a new attending. And Goodwin is just like, I have just the person and there she is. (laughs) Miss Goodwin nice to see you again 
It's good to see you, too. You look well, Dr. Asher. All that post-rehab glow. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you always checking in with me while I was away. It was very kind. I always wanted you to know you weren't alone. And this is Dr. Archer. He's the chief of our ED. Pleasure to meet you, Dr. Asher. Please. Thank you. Thank you, both. I'm looking forward to coming back and for this opportunity. Well, I don't mean to be insensitive, Dr. Asher, but uh, I do have to ask. Are you sure med is the best place for you, given your history? You mean my addiction? It's a fair question. I am almost two years sober and committed to doing whatever it takes to stay that way. I am ready for this both personally and professionally. Welcome back, Dr. Asher. Hannah freaking Asher is back, y'all. I I did not see that coming at all. Not only is she back, she is back as a series regular. Yep. I, I did not have that on my 2022 One Chicago Bingo card. I have so many questions, but one of those, one of those questions is. How did Deadline not spoil this? Well, I mean, yeah, they didn't spoil it. I guess, I don't know. I don't know. I'm really surprised this didn't get out there. I was shocked in the best way, though. Like, this is where Med really benefits from being a show that primarily 99.9% of the time films inside. This is where they benefit from that, right? Because you don't have them out in, you know, filming in the middle of Chicago, like... That you know, this is where they benefit from that. Yeah. What an awesome surprise. Like, it's interesting because I mean, we haven't seen Hannah since the beginning of season six. Um, and even then she was meant to be gone in season five, but obviously that got cut short. Like, I've always kind of kept her in the back of my head, just wondering, like, you know, what what I hope she's okay. Like, what's she up to? What's she doing? Like I pretty much put her out of my mind. I don't have that thought ever. <laughs> I also think, I mean, even though her relationship with Will was very messy, she forced him to grow up a little bit. (laughs) Debatable. Oh my God. Brent is so hard on the med characters tonight. Debatable. (laughs) A little bit because like he knew that he couldn't be his messy self because he had to keep it together for Hannah. Not even a little. I, I honestly, though, I think I'd have to go back and re and maybe I'll do that during this hiatus. I think I need to go back and rewatch some of those episodes because a lot of that is like fuzzy. Now, granted, Will's hero complex did kick into high gear, but you're right. We need to rewatch some of those episodes because it's been a long time. But I think she did force him to grow up a little bit, especially I think the quarantine plus them living together was like a total mess and it, and it matured him a little. Little. I think I need to go back and rewatch those. I just the thing that I remember the most isn't even something that happened on the episode. It's when when we had Nick run the podcast around that time, mm-hmm. and we were like, "Yeah, well, we know that you know Jesse Shram is playing this character or whatever, whatever." But we really know her real name is Hannah, and he was just like, "Wait, how do you guys know her name's Hannah?" We're like, "Well, Deadline." <laughs> and he was uh, like rats who spoiled it to deadline i remember I- that i remember that i also remember um us being like they're totally gonna get together like they're totally gonna get together um 
And like nobody would confirm or deny it. And then we overheard that like they were going to happen. We were like, well, well, we knew. We knew. That's another surprise. Yeah. Uh, so there's a couple of interesting tidbits here. First one being, I am so like happy to see her because when she left to go to LA, I think we said it on the pod. We were like, LA is not a good place for a recovering addict to go. Yeah. Like, I was so relieved to see her because I'm so, I'm happy to see that LA did not chew her up and spit her out. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, like, I, I guess, I guess I have no real strong feelings towards Hannah because like I was never attached to her. So like I was more shocked than anything. And like, I'm glad of course to see that she's two years sober. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm worried about her being in this environment. Not because I don't think she can handle it, but like, I feel like obviously her relationship with will was like very messy and toxic and now being around him 24 seven. I mean, I hope she has the strength to not fall back into old patterns, but like, we don't know. I do too. I do too. And she sounded very firm in her conviction. She was like, I am sober and I'm doing anything. I, everything I have to do these days to stay that way. So, but, but yeah, like you said, it's going to be interesting. And plus I, I also love that Goodwin kept in touch with her for all these years, just to check in with her. So she wasn't alone. Yeah. I thought that was nice. I love that. Yeah. I love that, but you're right. It's going to be like, I, I worry about the dynamic she's going to have with Dr. Archer because I feel like that's going to be a shit show. Yeah. I feel like he's already hesitant to hire her. Like it's, it's going to be a shit show. I feel like he's going to be a very toxic person to be in her life. Cause like she doesn't need people doubting her. No. And that's what Archer's going to do. Archer is not going to lift. He her already is doubt doubting her. her. Exactly. Exactly. At least he's honest about it, but like, I don't, he is not the type of person that an addict, a recovering addict needs in their life. Yeah. I just, yeah, no, not at all. And then the question is what the will situation, what the, what I want to know what Will's reaction is going to be when she's like back in the ED and he's going to be like, what the fuck? Will's head is going to explode. And then he's going to be all awkward about it and be like, "Mm, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, yeah, that's going to be weird. I think he's going to be pretty distant from her at first because he's going to be like, the fuck? It's going to be a shit show. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also the question of what kind of Dr. Asher are we getting, right? Like, are we getting a whole new Dr. Asher? I mean, yeah, one would assume she's sober now. And so much of when she was on the show was like, yeah, she's okay at her job. But like, it's always, you know, iffy because is she drunk on the job? Is she, you know, or high on the job? Like, you know, we never knew. Yeah. So I would assume so. This was an awesome move on the part of the writers. Like this was such I'm just a good shocked. move. I'm just genuinely shocked because mm-hmm. I did not see that coming at all. At I all. really thought I just I don't know what I thought was going to happen at the end of this episode, but not that. It's it's almost kind of a bummer that they had to credit her at the beginning, right? Because that gave it away. Yeah, I know it really was because like I saw a tweet pretty much right away that was like, "Wait, Jesse Tramps in this episode," and I was like, "Oh." fuck yeah i still didn't think she was coming back as a series regular though i was like oh she's making an appearance but or like you know maybe she'll be in next week's episode but like i didn't think she was going to be back as a series regular med's been so good this season yeah i just i'm I'm still shocked (laughs) no me too awesome move like what a great move 
Yeah. I want to know so many things. Like what was, what was the decision process in making, letting her come back? Like, why now? What are we doing? Yeah. 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 I, I hope it wasn't a situation where they were like, well, we're losing Stevie. So we got to bring in another blonde doctor. Yeah. I'm really curious to see with like Stevie and obviously it is confirmed. We, well, Kristen put it on her own Instagram page so we can say it as fact on the podcast mm-hmm. that she is pregnant. She's five months pregnant. That is like a fact. She put it out there herself. This is not us like gleaming other, like she put it out there herself. Can we also just confirm how absolutely gorgeous she looked in that pit, that photo? Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. So the question is, is like she gone just from maternity leave? Like, is she gone already because of the pregnancy? And mm-hmm. like, it was just easier for her to go now. Will she be back next season? I mean, like nobody knows that part is still very up in the air. I will say when we saw that Instagram post, I did feel better about the fact I was like, oh, this doesn't feel as final now. She's just on maternity leave or whatever. And like, she'll be back. I was like, okay, fine. I can handle that. Mm -hmm. But now we've got Jesse Schramm coming back as a full time. It's a series regular. And I'm just like, okay, now I'm confused. Same. I'm confused all over again. Same. So I don't know. Don't know. Um. We did have a listener thought. Jess B said, I was always met on Hannah. She was fine. I didn't love her or hate her. So I met on her coming back. The only thing is I'm worried this means Stevie's gone for good, which would be a massive shame since I love her already. I'm just keeping a little bit of hope until we get official news either way. I I hate, this is the one thing I hate about TV is that they're like, you immediately assume that there's only room for like one female blonde doctor. Like that's not how real life works. No, I don't think that's what I'm assuming. I I don't, and I don't see it as that. I just see it as like, when you think about how many people that just characters they have on the show. Yeah. Like, and you think about Ethan's coming back in episode 18. So like, when you think about just how many people are on the show, I just don't think they can write for everybody. I don't see it as like a, you can only have two blonde, white blonde doctors, you know, female doctors on the show. Like, I don't see it as that. I just see it as like, oh shit, you're adding Ethan back into the mix and you've already got so many characters. Like you can't give everyone equal screen time. So like somebody, you know, something's got to go somewhere. I keep forgetting about Ethan coming back. We've got that to look forward to in two episodes. Thank God. Yeah. I know. It feels like weeks from now because obviously we don't get episodes again until April 6th, but yeah. 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 Yep. So any other notes on med? Uh, no, that's it. <laughs> I feel like I said a lot about med, so. Hannah Asher is back. She is back. It's insane. Again, file that under things I did not see coming. <laughs> Such a good reveal. Such a good reveal. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I'll segue into fire with this. If they can make Jesse Schramm a regular, they can do the same damn thing with Jimmy. <laughs> Yeah. I'm just saying. We'll get, we'll, trust me, we will get to Hakami. We will get there. This, this episode. We will get to Hakami. Oh my God. We were hashtag blessed in this episode for all the Hakami we got. We were, we were very blessed. Okay. Before we get there, we're going to start with Cruz and Severide and Seeger. Oh my God. This was another one that was just like, take my heart and just like rip it up. I loved everything about this. I, I do just, too. It's been forever since we had a real crew storyline with some depth. Mm -hmm. That's not just like him trying to get baby Otis into preschool. (laughs) And 
like Joe and Kristen too, but like Joe, especially like just knocked it out of the park. Like I just, I bow down to him. Yeah, absolutely. So we start the episode. The very first scene of the episode is domestic cruise and Chloe. That's like all I've ever wanted. I love Chloe so much. Yeah. I didn't know Kristen was in this episode. Cause obviously we hadn't gotten to that part in the like, um, mm credits yet and i was just like oh my god chloe yes it's been so long because she we haven't seen her since the birth true i don't think very true i don't think so yeah i don't think so either yeah, yeah. so baby otis wakes up in the middle of the night and joe's just like i got it you know like i gotta wake up for shift soon anyway and then like chloe goes back to sleep and she's like you're the best like just adorable domestic i love chloe. it they're so cute i love it so much so all of 51 gets called to an apartment fire. And when they get there, Cruz sees a little boy basically hanging from the window where the fire is like superhero style, like just gripping onto it with his hands. So they try to get the ladder up there and he falls. And the, you know what this made me think of was when you were watching season one of station 19 and you texted me in all caps and were like, Ryan caught that baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This Cruz was to- caught the, child it doesn't it doesn't work as well but like yeah this was a ryan caught that baby moment it was a ryan caught that baby (laughs) moment he falls and cruz catches him like just no problem just like swoops in yeah catches the kid so there's two more kids in there so truck goes in and cruz takes this kid to go get checked out so javi only speaks spanish the boy's name is javi only speaks spanish so cruz connects with him like right away um the other two boys are fine they all get taken to med for observation that's fine um coincidence that the other boys names were alberto and dominic i didn't catch that is that a coincidence oh i don't know i didn't even catch that yeah i love that although later on one of the guys um i think it's the like priest or whatever Mm -hmm. um calls him albert somebody calls him albert but like the javi calls him alberto like that's what they say. And I'm like, is that a coincidence? I don't know. That's cute. It That's works cute. either way. Um, who wrote this episode? I wonder if like, cause remember how Jeff got a co-credit that one year? I wonder yeah. if they like passed the ball to one of the med writers or something at a point. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah. So the other two boys are fine. They go to med for observation. So Seeger shows up during cleanup. Like, okay Seeger fine fine and they find multiple points of origin for the fire um we also find out that the lock was also done on the inside meaning that whoever whoever started the fire had was already inside when they arrived so um Seeger and Severide they go talk to the woman who lives in the apartment these boys are unaccompanied immigrant children from Honduras um, and the church basically put them up until relatives in the States could be located. So these three boys are, they got to the States alone and just, yeah. Yeah. Are staying with this woman. So Severide offers to, or offers Joe to go with Seeger to med to talk to Javi, but not before he notices like Seeger's car is just completely filled with boxes. And so she's like, yep, a Pison burst at OFI. My car is my office for now. Like that's, okay okay whatever so they go to med to talk to javi about the fire and javi admits that they had a pack of ping pong balls and wanted to see if they were flammable or not is this a thing are ping pong balls flammable is this like a widely known fact 
mean, I guess it's the material they're made out of. I, I don't think I knew that, but. Okay, so they put the ping pong balls in a bowl and they threw a match in, but the bowl flipped over, which is exactly why there were so many ignition points because the balls went everywhere. Um, yeah, so as they're leaving, Severide mentions to Seeker, he's like, I called Bowden. They have a spare office of 51 that you can work out of. And so Seeger is moving all of her boxes into 51 when she runs into Mason. This was a moment. This was a this was something. A moment. This was this was one of those things where like it's not much like it's like a blink and you miss it kind of thing, mm-hmm. but it's intentional. Like it's in there for a reason. They would not have shown us these two meeting if something wasn't going to happen. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's like, okay, whatever right now, but like, it's definitely something. Something. And I don't hate it. I didn't hate it either. Nope. Nope. But then Seeger gets a call that interrupts the moment. Javi took off from his room at med because of course he did because it's med. Um, And no one knows where he is. Like number one in patient care, we lose our patients. Okay. Okay. Med. Yeah. So then Stella stops by Severide's quarters, asks how long Seeger's sticking around. Um, and, you know, Sev is working on some old cases, which he offered to do. And Stella goes, I swear, someday I'm going to come into your office and see it cleaned out because you transferred to OFI. What are we planting the seed for here? Yeah, this was a big conversation. And I know at least on the Patreon group, I know mm-hmm. it was, I probably, I'm sure on Twitter too, that like, it seemed very obvious, like they were trying to like plant the seed of like, is OFI moving to 51 so that, you know, they can make the, Severide can make a transition or like, it's not as obvious when he, you know, I, I don't know. Like there was definitely something they were doing by like having this whole thing play out. I don't know what, but I feel like there was something. That wouldn't be the worst thing though. Yeah. But then it turned into a conversation too, at least of like, is Taylor leaving and yada, yada, yada. Like, and I, I don't know. I don't believe well, that. If but. he moves to OFI, but OFI moves to 51, he's not leaving. I mean, yeah, I don't, OFI is not leaving. You can't move a whole like floor in headquarters into one, you know. It makes no sense to move them out of the ivory tower and into a firehouse. Yeah. It, yeah. It's not happening. That doesn't make sense. So Javi ends up showing up at 51. He, it's the only place he knew where to go. And he's like terrified. He thinks that he's going to get arrested and sent back to Honduras. This poor kid. It was so heartbreaking. He's maybe like eight. Maybe. maybe. I think they say he's 10. I think they say he's 10. Oh my God. This poor kid. So they give him pancakes and Severi tells him all about the, he t- Severi tells him the story from when he was a kid about like this crazy shit that he did with M80s. How did Severide get access to M80s as a kid? I, that doesn't surprise me though, like at all. No, no. Benny probably like had to take some work home with him or something. And Sev got into say, it. I was going to say, Benny was his father. Like it does not surprise me no. at all. But he tells this whole story about how like he messed around with stuff and he singed off his eyebrows. That doesn't, yeah, that's not surprising at all. So yeah. Um, the pastor from the church comes by to get Javi and mentions that they're going to have to find him a new place to stay. And the way Javi found his way back to 51 was because of the sweatshirt that Cruz gave him. Yeah. And the number on it, which is just like, A, first of all, so sweet. But B, that's also really impressive. Yeah. Smart kid. Very smart. 
Um, what, what, when is, is it when, is it when he's eating pancakes that they have the moment where like he answers them in English and then Cruz and Severide like tickle him and are like, you yeah. do English. Yeah. So cute. It's really cute. So, so cute. Yeah. And so Cruz is like, I still don't know why he came here. And the pastor's like, well, you saved his life. He feels safe with you. So this gets the wheels turning. Seven crews are sitting at the squad table and Cruz is like, Hey, have you talked to Casey? Like, how's it going with the Darden boys? Um, and then he says something about like, is his cell number the same? And Severide's like, that's how it works. You have the same number. Yeah. I thought that was hysterical. That was funny. That was really funny. So then Cruz comes home from shift and he has this really heartfelt conversation with Chloe. One of these boys, his name's Javi. Mm-hmm. Such a sad story. It's, it's only 10 years old unaccompanied immigrant and now because of this fire his sponsor can't take care of him anymore they're hoping they can find them a new one but until then he needs a place to stay look chloe this kid has been through so much and he's kind of latched on to me I know, I know that we don't have room here for a 10 year old. But I also know we have room in our hearts. Oh man. I know, I know. Oh man. Joe has just the purest heart. Like that's everyone at 51 though. All of them have like the purest hearts. He really does. Oh my God. So the episode ends and they bring Javi home. Oh my gosh. Um, And all of it is just so sweet. Like they bring him home and then like Chloe's trying to speak Spanish and she's trying so hard and it's so sweet. Um, And then Chloe's like, you're going to sleep with the baby like that or in the baby's room. Like that's how this is going to go. And then like Javi says, thank you. And so at the end of the night, baby Otis starts crying and like, Chloe's like, it's my turn. I'm going to get up, whatever. And they hear Javi over the baby monitor singing to the baby. Oh my heart. I I was in tears. I was like, oh my God, this is the most precious thing. My heart like burst into glitter and rainbows. This was the best. It was so sweet. Oh my God. I just, I loved the storyline so much, but I'm curious though. Do you think we see Javi again or no? I hope so. I hope so. You know what? And this could also forge the way for like a really cool crossover opportunity. What You're thinking? He, I'm thinking what would the crossover opportunity be? Like how cute would that be if Michaela and Javi became friends? Oh, that. I was like, where are we? Go? I thought you were talking some, trying to figure out with like him trying to find another family, you know, whatever. I was like, where does that coming from? I, I see. No, that's never like, going to happen. But like somebody at 51 is like, or maybe like Trudy's coming to visit or something. And she's like, you know, Kim just adopted a daughter, right? Like maybe you might want to talk to her. And then, you know, Kim is able to give Joe advice. And then like Michaela and Javi are able to play together and become that friends. That would never happen ever. Oh, man. <laughs> that is a fan fiction idea. Rina is a dream crusher tonight, you guys. But okay, we don't, I mean, I would love for that to happen. But when is that ever, that does, that, that's not the kind of crossover stuff we get. Did you have a bad day? You're salty today. No, I have <laughs> actually had a fine day, but like, no. Fine, I'll just dream about it. That, it. That'll happen in the happy white space in my head. Yeah, in fan fiction. It can live on in fan fiction. 
man. Hey, this would be great. And Brenda's like, no. <laughs> I really did like this though. I'm just crushing your dreams, I guess. <laughs> Okay, so we got some listener thoughts on this. Megan R said, well, the OFI storylines this season have been boring and a little repetitive. I actually enjoyed this one. Cruz helping out was a pleasant change from the usual. The scene where Kelly told Javi the story about what he did when he was 10 was adorable. It was adorable. It was. Um, she also said, I'm so glad that the right of fire writers actually acknowledged that Casey and Severide use cell phones. <laughs> I was overjoyed when Kelly mentioned him and the fact that Matt's happy to have Sylvia in Portland makes me happy. Yeah, that was nice. That's funny. Um, I do agree with Megan, though. I I mean, the OFI story, I think it also helped that, like, there wasn't, it was OFI without actually being, like, arson. Like, it wasn't fire crop. Like, the, it, you know, it was solved pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So, like, yes, it was surrounding OFI and it was, you know, we got some Seeger, but it wasn't the same thing that we had been getting. So, I agree. I, I, it was a nice change of pace with the OFI stuff. Absolutely. Um, and Danielle M said, Cruz gave an amazing performance tonight. He did such a great job with little Javi. I would love to know what was said between him and Javi in regards to the story Sever I told them about burning off his eyebrows. Him and Chloe opening their home to the little guy and then him singing a lullaby to Otis was heartwarming. So sweet. Oh my God. Yeah. So sweet. Again, I this has been my favorite. I really, it had been so long since we gotten a good Cruz um, storyline. I it, it was very overdue and this like, it, this was amazing it was perfect it was perfect it was very perfect yeah. you know what else is perfect hakami hakami oh my oh goodness my every week you don't think these two can get any better and then they go get better this was honestly and i mean even up until the end but like this was something out of fan fiction like it really was it was beautiful it was amazing it was beautiful just, just... it was amazing i'm jealous you get to talk hakami go ahead okay so we kick things off and hawkins and violet are talking in the back of the aimbow and about like him joining her for a shift because she's like really like you don't think this is being too obvious and he's like well it was a crisis situation and she's like crisis really and he's like yeah he's like i mean you should have seen the floater pole you either be stuck with like wyatt or whatever and she's like oh good call and then they end up getting and she's like okay well that's fine but like you're gonna have to ease up on this and he's like what would you like me to do and she's just like stop with all the hotness we have to keep it professional and then of course hawkins is like okay and then he drops a you're crazy beautiful and he's like and that's the last i'll say about that today and i'm just like the flirty banter i can't i can't with these two they're killing me like the chemistry it's off the charts it's insane and like so when hawkins says that he like hops out the ambo and like the look on violet's face like that is way more than just being spitten that is like the face of a woman who is in love and hasn't realized it yet all I hear when I see Hakami is wildest dreams. Like it's the only thing I hear. <laughs> it's just, it's so good. It's so, it's so good. good. So later on, they have that apartment fire call. They come back and Violet, Violet is the bigger person. And she actually checks in on Gallo when they get back from the call. She's like, you know, I know that kids and fires, like that can be a tough combo for you. And Gal was like, you know, I'm fine. And he like, he's like, thank you for checking in. He's like, that means a lot. And she's like, yeah, yeah, of course. But that then, she's like, like that, that's big of her to do that. Yeah. 
It really is. But then Gallo goes and kind of ruins it because he goes and finds Hawkins in the turnout room and is kind of a jerk to him. Hell of a way to start a shift. No doubt. It's always busy around here. You would know that. You're becoming a regular at 51. I like to help out when I can. That's great. Not sure I've ever seen a chief so generous with his time. Riding shifts, getting to know how my medics work, means I'm constantly learning. Makes me a better chief. I'm sure you're learning a lot from Violet. She's a great paramedic. Oh, Gallo, Gallo, Gallo. What are we going to do with you? He, he's, what are they doing with Gallo? What are we doing? Okay. Like yeah. Gallo went from being this awesome, like young firefighter with just so much energy and like he had so much potential and now he's nothing more than a bratty toddler. Yeah. And I don't even think it was intentional for him to like go into the turnout room to find Hawkins and say this to him, but like he just happened upon Hawkins and he like couldn't contain himself. And it was just like, dude, like I get it. You're not happy. You want to be with Violet. Okay, fine. But like that doesn't mean you have to be an asshole to someone who's been nothing but nice to you. Never mind that. But this whole like now you're showing jealousy and that's not a good look. In fact, that's fucking toxic. Well, and the fact too that like he is the one, like he's accusing Hawkins of like, having alternate intentions when he's like filling in on a shift and he's like and Hawkins is just like you know that's how I like become a better chief is by writing shifts and like getting to know how my medics work like I you know and he's like well yeah but (laughs) and it's just like fuck you Gallo fuck you yeah I don't like what they're doing with him I don't and and it's yeah and also like you had your chance Gallo and then you decided to slut shame her He's had two chances if you think about it. Because there's season yeah. eight. Season eight, he fucked that up too. Mm-hmm. And season nine, no, this year, he fucked it up. I, I I realize that the intention is to lead back to Valo. I don't want it. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll, I don't we'll want get it. There. I, I do want to have that discussion, but we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so Violet, later on, Violet goes in the locker room and runs into Hawkins in a towel after the shower like what are the writers doing to us <laughs> uh, that's all i'm gonna say that's all we're gonna say <laughs> um and so as he's getting dressed like hawkins decides to ask violet about her and gallo because he picked up clearly uh, hawkins isn't stupid he picked up on something when gallo confronted him mm-hmm. so hawkins asked her about her and gallo what's the deal with you and gallo what do you mean I mean, I get the feeling he's got a thing for you. Oh, no. Well, he used to. Uh, we, we went out a while back. Oh. I didn't know. Yeah. No reason you would. It's totally over. For you, maybe. For him, I'm not so sure. No, that's definitely a misunderstanding. Trust me. Okay, I will say, one of the things that I really did appreciate this, though, and I think just further illustrates the point that Hawkins is a man and Gallo is a boy, is that, like, Hawkins asked her about, like, did you guys ever have a thing? But not once ever was there any sense of, like, 
jealousy or insecurity or whatever like he just wanted to know because it's her past relationship and you're in a relationship now with violet so like eventually if they continue to date like you're eventually those are things you're open about your partner with further highlighting the fact that hawkins is a man gallo is a boy like he was literally just pointing it out he was just like no i think uh, he's still into you like but he wasn't like upset by it and it's just like again hawkins is a man and gallo is a man child mm-hmm. yep so i yep. really i really did appreciate that but i know a lot of people made so there's a fate like violet walks away at the very end of this conversation and like there's like a look on her face and so a lot of people were like worried about what that meant to me i didn't take that as like Violet having feelings for Gallo or anything still like that. I just took it as like, oh shit. Like she's realizing like, oh shit, maybe Gallo's not, you know, maybe Gallo's still into me or whatever. Like I've moved on, but like, oh shit, maybe I didn't think this was as over and done as I thought it was. She looked pissed to me. Yeah, I think it's a combination, but I don't think it's her being like, oh shit, I'm still in love with Gallo. Maybe he's in love with me or whatever. Like I didn't take it as that at all. I took it as like, oh shit. I maybe this is a problem Mm -hmm. but not in the way of like her having feelings but because Gallo's feelings may fuck it up yeah yeah exactly so 61 later on gets called out to the spa where like basically a cryofacial went wrong um there's a nitrogen leak so like everyone has to evacuate (laughs) and like the thing about the scene that caught twitter by storm is like hawkins picks his patient up and like carries her out of the building and i don't that was just i don't know why twitter picked up on that and thought it was funny but like it was really funny twitter never change yeah so they take of course their patients to bed whatever as they're leaving bed violet is going on and on and on about cryofacials being a scam and she's like they charge money to blast cold air on people's faces cold air it's winter in chicago she's just like go outside get naked get a full body treatment like no risk of nitro poison and like all things that are just such violent comments but I, the thing that I love about it, too, is that, like, Hawkins finds it so sexy. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, man, like, your chemistry how-to, like, it's so attractive. And I'm just like, all their flirtiness, like, the flirtiness of the chemistry talk should not be as sexy as it is. It's but it's so sexy. So sexy. And then, you know, she's talking about, like, oh, well, maybe I'll have to get a lab coat. And it's just like... Jesus, you're just giving fan fiction writers ideas at this point. Mm-hmm. And so in a moment, though, of like kind of stupidity, like they do kiss outside the Ambo, outside of med. It's not like they're in the bay at the firehouse. Like I didn't think it was med. stupidity. Okay, but like eh, eh, when you're trying to be discreet and not let people know you're together, maybe not the move you do they don't owe anybody anything i'm not saying i agree but i'm saying if they they're the ones who want to keep it on the down low right like they're the ones that are making that choice if that is how you if you want to be on the down low then don't make out in public (laughs) i don't think there's anything wrong with it i'm just saying if that is what they they're trying to keep it on the down low then don't make out in public that's all i'm saying live your life hawkins and violet anyway so they break away because like they hear someone like walking to one of the other ambos and they're like did he see us and they're like no 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 i don't think so as it turns out though someone did catch them because 
Gallo finds out later on at Molly's from some random guys who, okay, are those random guys or is that the guy whose truck got like pushed to the burnt backside when the Ambo was being fixed last week? That's what I saw a lot of debate about is like, who is that guy? Is he just random or because he's the one that made a comment about the heater being fixed. And like, how would he, I mean, was that just like department gossip that like got around? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Something to keep an eye on though. Mm -hmm. So uh, theoretically some random guys. So Gala finds out from them that Hawkins and Violet were making out at med. Cut to, we don't hear Gallo say anything or whatever. Cut to Violet and Hawkins again, making out at his place, like going back to the room. A ton more chemistry talk because again, it's just so sexy. I can't even. So they're making out and Hawkins' phone goes off and they're like, eh, like ignore it, whatever, until they can't. And so they realize it's a, you know, it's a call from the CFT brass. And basically they want to see Hawkins in their office first thing tomorrow. This could be anything though. Gina. Gina. It could be anything. Gina. Gina, <laughs> you don't give us that tease that Gallo found out that, you know, people know about Hawkins and Violet making out and like, and Gina. I mean, granted, I will say this. We know they can't get fired, right? Like it, that is, it is not a fireable offense. We do know that. But I think it's also going to, cre- I mean, obviously it's going to create drama. Of course. Is it a full moon outside? Cause this never happens when I'm the optimist and you're just like, No. You really don't think, you really think it's going to be nothing? It could totally be a fake out. I I, I don't think that at all. <laughs> like, at all. At all. Yeah. Because why do we get the scene of Gallo finding out and, like, having that conversation if it's to, just going to be a fake out? To make us think that Gallo is a petty little bitch that ratted them out. But I don't think, okay, I don't think Gallo is the one that ratted them out. I do think it's the other. I think they're leading us to think that Gallo is the one that ratted them out. I don't think that Gallo ratted them out. But I do think it's going to be a conversation. And here, here's my thing. So I think we're headed for drama. I, I don't think, and I'm obviously a Hakami stan. I want them to be together forever and ever and ever. But like, mm-hmm. I think we're headed for drama. I don't think, like things can't, unfortunately, this is TV and we can't stay in the honeymoon phase forever. That's just. That's not how TV works. I've decided to operate under the theory that we're going to get drama and they'll probably break up. But then by the finale, that'll be like them getting back together in the finale. That's my like headcanon for how this goes. However, I do feel like it's going to be important. And I saw, I read this in Lizzie's review of last night's fire episode and I thought it was a very interesting take and something I 100% agree with. Mm-hmm. I do feel like it's really important. Like she said in her review, she said, you like, we have two options going with Hikami, right? Like you were either going to make Hawkins be the roadblock for Violet and Gallo, or it was going to become its like own relationship with its own issues and its own drama. And that's the path that I feel like they're taking, right? Like, I feel like if Hawkins and Violet break up, it's not going to be because of Gallo. It's not going to be because Violet's realized she's in love with Gallo. Like, I don't think it's going to be any of that. I think it's going to be them realizing, well, maybe for our professional ambitions, we shouldn't be together right now. Like, it's causing all this drama, whatever. Like, it's because their own, re- it, their own relationship is having its own issues. 
And to me, that just makes me even feel more confident that it's something that they're going to continue to circle back to. Because I feel like if Hawkins was just the roadblock for Gallo and Violet, like, obviously, of course, once he's done, he's, we don't see him again. And I just, I don't get that vibe. I get the vibe that they're really setting this relationship up to be something that's lasting. God, I hope so. That's just the vibe I get, is that we're not going down the, like, roadblock road. We're going down the, like, it's its own relationship with its own issues. And unfortunately, it's TV. Like, it sucks. Like, they're gonna have angst. Like, I just, I see it coming. But, like, if we're gonna have the angst that is, like, Hakami having its own issues and, like, that's the, like, I can handle that. I can work through that eventually. (laughs) It's if we end up going with like the throwing Gallo into the mix and that whole thing that I'm just like, I don't want that. I don't want that. I used to think Violet and Gallo were just so cute and innocent and sweet. And now I think of the, I think of the prospect of Violet, like going back to Gallo. And I'm just, all I'm thinking is like, she can do so much better. Well, it's so interesting. I have two comments. So one, I was going back and watching some of those like episodes or like Violet's first episode the other day for something special we're working on that we can't talk about not yet you guys will find out in a couple weeks Mm -hmm. but and I was just like okay like I can see the chemistry I could see why I was invested in it Mm -hmm. from the beginning because I was like as soon as they introduced Violet I was like oh man like I love this talking about Violet Gallo but now when I have something else to compare it to like it doesn't even compare nope like, it doesn't even compare. Like I said, I can see why I was initially invested in it, but it just doesn't compare anymore. And also, I think your comment, too, brings us back to the point we were having earlier is like, what? I think they also kind of ruined any potential hope I had for Violet and Gallo because they've just done Gallo so dirty. Yep. I'm like, what are they doing with Gallo? It goes back to what I said earlier. I don't want it. What, you don't want Violet Gallo? No, I don't want well, it. Yeah, no, of, co- of course not. When you would have a commie, who wants Violet Gallo? No way. Right. But I will say, I mean, like, up until, like, the mid-season, really, I was like, oh, yeah, I do believe Violet and Gallo are going to be in-game. And I don't believe that anymore. If and that- I think, But I think a big part of it, too, is because they've just kind of ruined Gallo's character in this last six whatever episodes it's unfortunate it's really unfortunate and and the the idea now of valo being endgame like i just hear that and i'm just like oh man violet will have settled so hard yeah like i said it wasn't until i think until it wasn't until you have something to compare it to that you're like oh oh yeah because like i said even earlier just like the way that hawkins and gallo react to certain things like Gallo comes at it as like a man child who gets jealous of everything. And Hawkins is like, okay, I'm curious. I want you to be honest with me, but like, it doesn't bother me. You notice how they literally like pacify him like a toddler now. How, what was it like two weeks ago? Stella was like, Gallo's having a bad day. Let's let him climb a tree. (laughs) Yeah. I just, and it sucks though. Like regardless of the Hakami of it all and the fact that I want Hakami instead of Val, like regardless of all of that, it sucks because I loved Gallo. Mm-hmm. And like every episode, I just feel like he just falls deeper and deeper into this hole that I don't know if he can climb his way out of. 
for me. Yeah. And it's to the point now that this, the, the stuff he says and does, it's not cute anymore. A lot of that stuff that he was able to pull in the early seasons, we'd be like, ha that's so cute. He's such a cinnamon roll. It's not cute anymore. Mm-mm. Like nope. grow up, dude. Yeah. I just, like I said, I don't know what they're doing with poor Gallo. Me neither. They're doing him dirty. Yeah. Take him back to cinnamon roll status and like, show me a guy who is respectful and happy that his friend is happy. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's all I want. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. But Hakami, though. <laughs> but Hakami, Hakami though. though. Yeah. Okay, no matter how dramatic things get, I'm just going to, like, manifest this for myself and remind myself of it right now. No matter how dramatic things get, we will always have all of these wonderful episodes. Oh, yeah. Well, we don't, we're not even putting that in the universe because I think he's sticking around. You already did. Yeah, but I said they get back together in the finale. God, I hope so. I said there's drama. That doesn't mean that Jimmy's leaving the show. You said it into, you spoke those words. I'm going to knock on wood. I said he's not leaving the show. Jesus. He's no, never. although we are paying attention to the Instagram and he is in New York right now. So <laughs> we're not stalking you. Yeah. Promise. I mean, listen, everybody's doing it. It's not just us. It's true. It's true. I'm just saying listener thoughts. Of course, everyone had listener. Th- everyone had thoughts about this because duh. <laughs> Uh, Megan R said the Hakami stuff was hot minus Evan's cell phone interrupting their makeup time. <laughs> I particularly enjoyed the scene at med before they got back or they got back in the ambo. The chemistry talk is what I've been seeing in Hakami fanfics. And now that I read and, and, and um, all tongue twisted and I'm glad that it's now canon. I hope that things go well for them moving forward. Yes. I love it. So good. Jess B said Hakami are literally giving me life on fire at this point. Can we keep Chief Hawkins forever, please? I'm going to say that louder. Can we keep Chief Hawkins forever, please? Yes, please. Please. Um, I'm officially starting a petition for an episode where Hawkins is shirtless the entire time for no other reason than we deserve it. And if CFD Brass tries to break them up in the next episode, then we riot, right? Yes. 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 We do riot. We riot. Yeah. At least it gives us an excuse to go back to Chicago. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Always looking to go back to Chicago. Amen. Um, Heather B said, did Gallo really just turn Hawkins in? I'm liking him less and less with the way he's acting over her commie. One of the thing about 51 is that they always band together. I can't think of a time where someone tried to sabotage another member like he just did with Violet. I'm sure he thinks he's only going to get Hawkins in trouble, but there's no way this does not in some way fall back on violet also what is his end game get hawkins fired and hope that hakami breaks up and violet gets back together with him i know he's rash but that's the type of plan that's going to end with sides being taken to the firehouse see again i i don't think i don't think uh, gallo did that i don't think he read them out but i think I, it's a fake out i think they i think they're gonna i think violet for sure is gonna once she finds out that gallo knew i think violet for sure is gonna think that gallo did it but i I want to have hope in the cinnamon roll still just a little bit and believe that he didn't do it. Hope in the cinnamon roll. Like, yeah. Hashtag that. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think when she finds out she's definitely going to blow up at Gallo because like, again, maybe his objective is to get Hakami in trouble, but it's always worse for the woman, isn't it? Always. Yep. Always. Yeah. 
Well, and that's why I think, like I said, as much as I love Hakami, I do think there is some kind of angst because I think Violet has always, like her fear, regardless, I mean, granted right now she says she doesn't care, but Violet's fear and the reason she didn't want to start things in the first place is because she was afraid of what everyone thought and how she was going to be perceived. And the CFD brass knows, I'm just, they know, that's what that call is about. Like they know. And granted, they can't get fired over it. So I'm not worried about Violet losing her job or anything. But I think it's going to really make her reconsider like what they're doing. And like, I could see them breaking up because of it. I'm not saying I'm not saying I would like that, but I'm saying I could see it. Yeah. Yeah. Danielle M said, I'm here for this. <laughs> uh, Hawkins in a towel. Yes, please. But I'm not liking the ending. Do we think it was Gallo who reported them to HQ or was it the random guy at Molly's? Either way, not cool. Random, guy, random guy Yeah, it had to be like, like Gallo's not that heartless. Again, I want to have hope in the cinnamon roll. Just a little bit. I know there's not a lot left, but like. Yeah. 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 <sighs> Next up, we've got Mason and the Pranksters. This was so cute. This was really cute. And this had a really good payoff. It did. Okay. So it is Mason's first official shift at 51. And so, of course, Mouch and Gallo and Ritter and Herman, they're already scheming up ways to prank him. They're like, what do we do? Like, how do we do this? And so Mouch is like, I'm pretty sure we all know who like the prank aficionado in the firehouse is, which like, yes, we do. Bow down. Thank you for that callback to the donut episode. That was hysterical. I love that episode so much. Yeah. So he's like, okay, I'm going to work up a plan. Don't worry. So the four of them reconvene after the call to go over the plan. And Mouch has this like, he thinks it's a detailed drawing. It's just like a stick figure and like some lines and like. Oh my God. It's so funny though. Cause readers like, why has he got one hair coming up out of his head? Like a baby. And now just, just like, that's how you show it's a male person in stick figure language. What? And I'm just like, whoever came up with that line needs a raise. Like I, it's just, it's so funny. It makes me think that they must have a really good time in the writer's room and just like, oh, they have to, they probably get to a point in the day where they say random shit and are like, that's perfect. Yeah. I love it. It's a male it. person in stick figure language. Like that's just, it's so good. It's so good. So good. So apparently the prank has something to do with a bag of flour dropping over Mason's bunk. Okay. Something. Something, something like, like that. that. Yep. So they split up to go get the supplies and Mouch is like, don't screw this up. Like I have a reputation to uphold. I love that Mouch takes this so seriously. But I love too, by that point, they split up and Mouch is still going on about his reputation and they're not even there to listen. Yeah. He's just going on about it. And he's like, oh, oh. So Stella sees them setting up the prank and she's like, no, like shut this down. And she, she says, she's like, it's not easy to join a house as close as 51. Like we don't need to give him any more reasons to feel like an outsider. I also love when she's like, no, it's my rig. Shut it down. I'm like, say it again. It's what? It's your rig. Say it again. Say it again. Yeah. Love it. So Stella and Mason are packing up once shift is over and he basically reveals that he's waiting for the prank. He's like first day right of passage. Like the, the new guy always gets pranked. So Stella's like, oh shit. Like, oh no, like, I, I fucked it up. Him. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, fuck, I have to prank him. So the only person she can find in the firehouse is Seeger and she agrees to help. And so they sticky notice car. Uh, 
the the prank itself is like poorly executed but the best part of this is the like we finally get Seeger and Stella like coming together and collaborating and like finally realizing that like there's no reason for them to be against each other yeah and something that has nothing to do with Severide whatsoever yeah yeah it's perfect that like they finally found something to bond over that's what I mean by this trend that we're doing where we're taking these characters who at first seemed very unlikable and now we're making them likable the minute she started laughing with C- with Stella, I was like, you know what? Like, yeah, this I could get it behind. Yeah. Yeah. Seeger pining after Severide, no thank you. But this I can get behind. And like knowing that, like showing us that, it, it shows us that Seeger is not a threat to Stellaride. It's like. Yeah, I will say though, I do think it's interesting that they've kind of just seemed to drop that. Like, I feel like they put such an emphasis on it earlier on that it kind of does seem a little, not that I'm complaining. It just does seem a little weird that they've just like dropped that. I'm glad they have. I am like I said, I'm not complaining about it. It just seems a little weird. It just makes things so much more palatable and easy to process, especially in this crazy ass world where there's darkness everywhere. There are some times when like the shows have twisty turny stuff and you're just like, I can't right now. Like, yeah it's just nice yeah like i said this is definitely a welcome change yeah for sure for sure for sure so stella finds out later at molly's that it's kind of a lame prank which like yeah it is but stella comes clean she's like it was me and seager it wasn't ouch like don't worry it doesn't ruin his reputation (laughs) like that's it And and the funny thing too she was like because earlier when she, when Seeger agrees to help, she like, Stella just like spews out. She's like, I love you. And so when she's talking to Severide later and she's like, yeah, well, just so in case this comes up, I did tell Seeger I loved her. <laughs> oh, it's really so funny. like, just, it's so much better when you see women supporting women. Like that expression is so true that like when women support women, anything is possible. I just, I hope they continue to go this route and don't take it back to some other route. Right. Right. That I will not be here for. Look, Seeger can totally think Kelly is attractive. We all do. Yeah. But like. There's a difference between thinking he's attractive and like pining after him. Yeah. You can't act on it. You can't act on it. And don't flirt with him. He's engaged. Don't do that. But. Yeah. yeah, for it, it was very refreshing to see Stella and Seeger having such a good time together and laughing together. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It also helps that I'm in the middle of upload because I'm kind of obsessed with Nora. Uh, duh, because Nora is the best. She is the sweetest, most gentle thing and like Ugh. protect her at all costs. I can't wait for you to watch season two. I'm, I'm really curious to see what you think about it. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to down it this weekend. I, I loved season one. Loved it. Like it's a lot shorter than season one. Season one was 10 episodes. How many episodes is this two? Seven. They're a really? little longer, but it's seven. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Seven or eight. I think it's seven though. Okay. But yeah. they're like a little bit longer. So instead of like 25 minutes, they're like 30 minutes. Oh, but that's like, nothing. yeah, it's still seven. Yeah. But. Yeah. It's like just watching upload. I was just like, she's on fire. And like, we don't like her. But, but yeah. like Nora's so sweet. Oh, Nora's the best. It's it's a good show. Watch it. I recommend it. I love it. I also can't wait. I can't believe I waited this long to start it. Yeah, like I said, I would have started it back 
when, and I did start it back when, but then, and I'm glad I didn't watch it season one when I was, had started it originally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would not have been in the right space, but. No, no. So we got some listener thoughts on this. Megan R said, see what happens when Stella and Seeger work together instead of the latter making moves on Sev. I love that prank they pulled. I got to give Stella credit for throwing something together at the last minute. True. Yeah. Um, Jess B said, I don't care if the prank was lame. Stella and Seeger friendship is what we deserved from the beginning. Stop pitting women against each other over a man. Exactly. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Heather B said, I didn't hate Seeger this episode. I like her and Stella teaming up. And she said, I actually pulled that prank on a roommate in college. She thought it was pretty lame too. <laughs> and her moving into 51 creates something interesting. It was a blink and you miss it thing, but I could see them pairing her and Mason together with the way he looked at her after they were introduced. That was not blink and you miss it. It was blink and you miss it, but like that was an intentional blink and you miss it. But they lingered. No, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's a quick moment. Like it's like 30 seconds overall. So like, mm-hmm. it is like a blink and you miss it, but like, they don't put that in and tension. Like there's a reason for it. Yeah. Yep. Any other notes on fire? No, it was a good episode. It was a great episode. It was actually. a great episode. It was yeah. a great episode. Hakani. Yeah. Just yeah. oh man, the amount of times I did go back and rewatch those scenes, of course, obviously a lot today. Pretty great, uh, pretty great. So, you know what wasn't so great? I'm really full of bad segues tonight. Not so PD. great, PD. Let's stretch it out. Oh, I know <sighs> this was. <sighs> This was a rough hour. And I don't mean fine. It wasn't a rough hour like the way last week was with like it was rough because like Michaela got kidnapped. This was rough as in you're watching, you're watching, you're looking at the clock and you're like, it is only 920. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, and 10 o'clock over here. So because I'm an hour ahead of you. Yeah. But like, yeah, last night I was like, I don't care. Like, I, I basically, like, went to bed. I was like, I, I don't even care. Like, I'm done. But, like, today when I was watching it, I was like, this isn't bad, but I just don't care. Like, I nothing about this makes me care. And I know a lot of people said, and we'll get to those listener comments later, I know people did say that, like, this episode made them care about Anna a little bit more. I just, I don't, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck about any of it. So it just feels like a wasted hour. Anna is... Anna is a likable character like she does have an interesting story you do end up wanting to root for her because she is just trying to do what's right right yeah that's all she's trying to do the mistake they made was tying her in with Voight yeah because Voight episodes are boring like I said, this one was better when I rewatched it today. Like I didn't like I said, it didn't make me want to go to sleep or anything. I was like, okay, this isn't terrible. But I just, I don't care. I don't give any fucks about any of it. Exactly. Now, Anna's a likable character. And it, I think what we did learn in this episode is that Escano is actually kind of a scary villain. Oh, so, yeah. Like, He's going to, I feel like once this is all said and done, because obviously we've spent multiple episodes on it. Like, I feel like this is going to go down. This is going to be like some pulpo level shit. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. It's just, you got to get past the void of it all to get to the Anna stuff. And the other thing too, this wasn't even a void episode. This was an Anna episode. Yeah, this was definitely an Anna episode with like a little bit of void and a dash of Haley and Jay. 
There was a whole like five minute that 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 whole sequence where that guy got shot and brought to the bakery. That was like a whole Anna sequence for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. So wasn't the easiest thing. Oh, we didn't address something in fire. We had a scare about the word. We thought we got the word there for a second. Oh yeah, we did. But Herman said serenity. Serenity. Serendipity. Yeah. Yep. So we're still on the lookout for the word. Yeah. My heart like dropped. He was like, that sounds like serenity. And I was like, (gasps) yeah. And I like, and you started texting me like, did I miss it? I was like, did I miss it? And you were like, take over the Twitter. I got to go back and rewind. And I was like, okay. And you were like, no, no serenity, not serendipity. Yeah. I (laughs) want, you think Derek put serenity in there by mistake and like, he thought the word was serenity. I did that. I missed, I, I mistook the word one time for serenity. And you were like, no, serendipity. I don't know. But Derek, we're running out of time. <laughs> Maybe he's saving it for the Stellaride wedding. That would be amazing. But would. like, I don't want to get my hopes up that far. Me neither. I just like, we're running out of time. We have six episodes left. I know. Six episodes. It's crazy. I know. Where did this season go? I know. I know. <sighs> okay. Back to PD. Sorry. I just, we, we, we thought we heard it. We couldn't not recognize that that was the deal. Um, okay. Anyway. Yes. So Void and Anna, they meet up. Anna feels like things are not going so well. And like, she would know, right? She's working at the bakery for Escano, putting her life at risk all the time. Mm-hmm. And so instead of being like, follow your instincts like that's okay you don't feel safe i respect that boy says this cheap sex is not gonna do it not with this guy we need something more so that's what you're gonna find you find some way to get close to him you treat it like any other relationship any other person you get to know him. Let him know you. It'll take time. That's fine. We've got it. You find whatever it is that can bond you to Wisconsin. Something to tie you up together. Something real. So that when Escano needs someone for Los Tomatoes, you're the person he wants. You're the one he's close to. Yeah. And it's a pattern of this throughout the night of Anna being like, hey, no. And Voight being like, don't care. Yes. I I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say that. I don't think she's saying like, because that makes it sound like Voight's just like pushing her to do everything. Like there is always a choice, right? But I think Voight just makes it clear that like, she hasn't said anything either to like make them feel like she's, turning her back on her choice she's just not sure she's comfortable you know with I think she's just uncomfortable in it but she still wants to do it yeah the other thing too is that I I feel like this this whole Voight Anna relationship in this episode it walked a really fine line right because Voight does push her in certain situations but also he wouldn't push her if he didn't think she couldn't get the job done he believes in her right and it's never within like 
Because even when, which we'll get there, I guess, in a minute, but, like, even in the whole bakery scene, right, where she, like, is saying stuff, like, that she needs help into her microphone, mm-hmm. he, they know, she knows that if she said the safe word, that they would come and, like, you know, break down the doors or whatever and, like, make it happen. Yeah. But she never says the safe word. She just says, I need help. Right. So, like, again, they know that she can do it, like you said. It's just, so I wouldn't go so far as to say, like, Anna saying no and Voight saying yes. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's that because it's not. But, like, yeah, there's definitely some tension there. For sure. And the other thing, too, is, like, and I, I you know, it pains me to give Voight the benefit of the doubt. But Voight knows that she has a young son. Mm-hmm. And so Voight is going to do everything he has to do to make sure that, you know, he has a mom at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. Voight's not trying to put Anna... In any situation, I mean, he says, and I will say, like you said, I don't want, I don't like to give Voight the benefit of the doubt, but over and over in this episode, he says, he's like, he, like they go about things the way they do in this episode because they don't want to put, compromise Anna and like, they don't want to compromise her safety. Yeah. And they wouldn't be doing this if they thought that she was going to end up killed. Yeah. Yeah. So then Upstead, they're setting up outside the bakery and someone literally just comes up and starts shooting at a guy getting out of his car. Yep. That's it. Uh, the offender flees. The victim's name is Josh. Uh, and Void is so worried that they just ruined the case on Escano, but he wasn't around. So like he thinks that they're good. They think they're good for now because like Escano wasn't there. Um, Anna was there, but she maintained her cover. Yeah. So they're good. So then Boyd goes back to the 21st. They start trying to figure out more details about the shooting. Josh was an ex-banger, dropped his flag when he was in prison. He's got zero ties to Escano. Then we find out, of course, he died at Met. So Haley questions the girlfriend and she's like, no, this was not a gang shooting. Like they were on the block. Josh was looking for work. Um, he didn't want to tell her until he got a job, but she thought she had overheard him talking about working at a bakery. So he was just going to get an application. Yep. That's it. So back at the bakery, Jay's outside, Anna's trying to work a Scano. And all of a sudden someone shows up banging on the door. This it's another employee. His name is Adrian. And he's been shot in the side by the police. This is the guy Jay shot. Yep. This is the guy Jay shot. Uh, Anna wants to call 911. Escano won't let her. And this is where we get the whole like five minute long Anna sequence. Like yeah. five minute long. So Haley's like, we need to move. And Void is like, no, because then we blow her cover and get her killed. And so while this is happening, they're like dragging Adrian into a back room. Escano's like, you need to sew him up. And she's just like, huh? What? Like, well, really, before that, Escano wants to burn him, like, with the hot whatever to stop the bleeding. And Anna's like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And so then Escano's like, okay, sew him up. I thought that was like a legitimate medical move was cauterizing. It is. But Anna, I think, Anna, I don't know if Anna knows that. Anna got spooked. Like, yeah. 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 I've seen enough medical shows to know that that's a thing. Yeah. No, sure. it's definitely a thing. <laughs> Lord help me if I'm ever in one of these situations because I'm going to like be like, I watch medical shows. I know things. I don't know things. I don't know things. Like, no. <laughs> so Anna says, uh, she like, Escano like leaves and Anna just says into the mic, she says, I think I need help. But she doesn't use the safe word. So Voight's like, 
hold off. Like, no, wait, she has not used the safe word. Stop it. So Escano wants to cauterize the wound. Anna's like, no. So Escano's like, fine, sew her up. And like her sewing this guy up, she is so traumatized. Like she's crying the whole time she's doing it. She's begging for help and nothing, nothing. Yeah. So Escano comes back and is like, hey, how's Adrian? She's like, I don't know. Like he needs to see a doctor. And he just tells her instead, go take Adrian to his house, stay with him, make sure he's okay. And she's like, all right, fine. So she takes Adrian home and she's like, okay, I'm going to run out and grab some things. And instead she meets up with Voight and Upstead and she's pissed, rightfully so. She's like, what the fuck guys? Like she's so pissed. She's so pissed. And Voight's like, no, like follow the plan, stay with Adrian, get information like out of them that so we can use this without burning you. So back at the 21st, we get like the one scene in the whole episode with Berzik and Atwater. Like, were they even in this episode? I, I know. And this is, again, we've, I mean, I, we're not going to go on it on and on about it forever this time, but like, it just goes back to the balance and like, they're not bad episodes. I just wish there was more of a balance. Like you're got tell, you're going to tell me we're not getting any reference to the fact that Michaela was kidnapped last week. Like none whatsoever. Right. The babysitter was murdered in cold blood and we're just going to act like it never happened. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't compute. It just, I don't know. The balance is not there, but. I swear Atwater was in like one scene and it was like blink and you miss it. I legit texted the pod squad and was like, has anybody seen Kevin? Yeah. Yeah. He had like one line of dialogue. Mm Mm-hmm. I, no. Yeah. What does Chris Evans say? I don't like it. (laughs) Like it. (sighs) Brandon, take it from here. Okay, so yeah, like you said, so they're back at the 21st. Burgess and Rusick tell Voight, like, what they figured out about Adrian. So basically, like, he works only, like, three days a week at the bakery. And on his days off, like, they have pod footage of him, like, dropping his car off in random parking lots, like, by himself and, like, swapping it out for different ones. So, like, they figure, like, he's a runner for Escano and the Los Tomatoes. Like, it's obvious. So they're back at Adrian's house, and Anna's helping Adrian out, and she, like, tries to get information out of him about like why he showed up at the bakery when he was shot and he just going on about like he knew Escano would help him and he just he makes comment he says like I let my heart just whatever and so Escano or Anna says you know like you know well, what do you mean like Escano doesn't care about a soul and he's just like no you don't know him I've known him since he was 14 yada 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 all that stuff and so she asks him she's like well I know you shot that guy like how come like did Escano tell you to do that and so of course like as soon as she makes that comment about Escano like who shows up but Escano like of course Escano shows up that was some unfortunate timing for Anna yeah and so he's like come you come with me like to Anna he's like you come with me and of course like they have this whole conversation where basically at the end of it we figure out that like Escano knows who she is like the whole joke I say joke in quotations the whole joke the whole episode has been like Escano doesn't even know who she is like he gets her name wrong and whatever but like of course Escano knows who she is and he's like yeah I know a lot about you like I know your family was affiliated with Los Tominos I know you have a son and he's like there's not a person that works for me that I don't know so he is on to her he doesn't know that he's she's working with the cops but like he's on her. like he knows who this is this is the start of him becoming one of those creepy villains just the way that he says that he's like 
I know everything about you and just rattles it off. Like that's how, you know, he is a dangerous human. But we really, if you think about it, I mean, like in terms of villains on PD, I mean, like that really got like more than two episode arcs. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had Pulpo, you had Gregory Yates. Darius Walker. Oh yeah. Darius. And then I'd say, and then Escano. Those are kind of like the big ones, right? Do you consider Kelton a villain? That's a different kind of villain. Like, that's not like, I mean, yes, I would consider Kelton a, a villain. And I would also consider, um, oh my God, what is the guy? Not Darius Walker, Denny. I would consider Denny a villain too. Ooh, but yeah. like, if they're in a different, it's not like criminal as much. Mm-hmm. It's it's like, it's a villain, but it's not in the criminal cases. Like the, those other ones are like on the criminal side. Yeah. So different, but um. Anyway, so she Anna goes back to the twenty first to meet with Voight, and she's like definitely scared now. Like she doesn't say she's scared, but like just on her mannerisms and the way she's talking, like you can pick up on the fact that like she's really scared, especially now that she knows Escano knows her. Um, <laughs> but she's like telling Voight what she got from Adrian anyway. Basically, that just like he's a messed up kid who's like fallen under Escano's spell and like. Yeah, he probably did a bad thing. Of course he did. He mur- ended up murdering a guy, but like, it's not, you know, it's all Scano. So intelligence ends up finding the connection on why Ascano had Adrian kill Josh. So basically, or why Adrian ended up killing Josh, not that Ascano had him killed, but they end up finding the connection. So basically Emmy, Josh's girlfriend, her mom went to rehab when Emmy was 18 and Emmy went to go take care of her sick grandma who just so happened to live down the street from Adrian. Except there was no, and they're like, Void's like, how did we miss that earlier? And he's like, well, there's no proof that they ever knew each other except for the addresses. Like there's no text messages, there's no phone calls, you know, whatever. And so they make the connection. They're like, well, if Adrian just lost Emmy to Josh and Josh gets a job from the same bakery, like Adrian's basically losing everything he had, which of course would be motive to kill. Mm-hmm. So Ruzik's like, I guess, you know, Adrian probably had a burner phone from um, Escano. Like, you know, there's two numbers pinging from his house. So basically they end up figuring out, of course, Adrian's motive. So they go to Adrian's house to arrest him and he's got a gun to his head. And he just keeps going on about the fact that like when he left, when Escano left, like I was supposed to run away and he's like, I've just been sitting here. Like he just keeps repeating to Voight because Voight's the one that finds him that like he promised him that he would do this, that he would kill himself. And Voight thinks he's talked him off the ledge, but he didn't. Like Adrian ends up shooting himself right in the neck. It's very graphic. This was so unnecessarily graphic. It was, this is like some boys level shit yeah but you're on network tv yeah there were and there was a streaming. lot a lot of talk on twitter where people were just like dude like trigger warning hello right Which, like i that's not necessarily possible on network tv but that was just not necessary but you're right that was like boys level shit yeah like i get it you're gonna hear the gun go off to imply that he shot himself right like i got it like you're gonna hear the gun go off but we did not need to see Voight's face covered in adrian's blood <laughs> right oh i keep sneezing um, exactly didn't need to see that we it was not, not it was not necessary it was disturbing um so basically kind of the big it's like a, almost like a five minute scene i feel like it's like a long scene so basically the big kind of ending scene even though there's one scene after that back at Voight's house 
Voight comes home and Anna is there waiting for him. Look, I will do all of this. I will get closer and you know that, but I just... You gotta give me something. Anything. It's just... I don't know jack about you. Or Escano, and you both know everything about me. I mean, he's got a whole sheet on me and my kid. You got a whole damn board on me. You both are just using me like, like a lamb to slaughter. It's fine, I'm, I'm willing and I'll trust you. I just... What do you want? I got no idea. I, I, don't, I don't even know why it means so much. I just... I don't have anything to give. Of course you do. I mean, what the hell is up with this big empty house and all these pictures of your family? They're gone. You told me you have a son. He's dead. They're all gone, Anna. This job is what I have. This is all I got left. Okay. So, did this... I'm curious. Did this scene make you feel anything? Yeah. It... it yeah. And, and you know what? My mom messaged me right after it was done and she pretty much echoed whatever, like, whatever I was feeling. She just messaged me and just said, like, what a sad existence. Yeah. I didn't think about it like that, but yeah. It's so sad because he he knows that the job is all he's got. Yeah. To me, the first thing I thought about, especially when I rewatched it this morning, was, you know how there's, I don't remember which interview it was, but like, they've kind of said that the theme of this season is home. Mm-hmm. right that like obviously you have like the idea of like the Berziks and Michaela and you have like Haley and Jay and then you have Kevin and his Celeste and all that stuff and then you have Voight and to me the first thing I thought of was that like wow like Voight's home is so empty and like just like I guess kind of a similar thought like how sad that is yeah and that like this is literally all he has and like you know Anna re- just finally put that together and realized it. it's just just like damn it's so sad that the only thing that gets him out of bed in the morning is fighting these criminals. Yeah. Like cleaning up the streets of Chicago. That's the only thing that gets him out of bed and keeps him going. Yeah. When I guess. Yeah. Cause we, and this has kind of been something I know people have talked about on Twitter is that like our olive and the grandchild still in the picture and we just don't ever hear about them, but like this doubt makes it. it seem like they're not. Yeah. Which is also really sad. So sad. And again, I don't like to show sympathy for Void, but like, damn. But like, I that it, it, that I couldn't imagine like being on this earth knowing that everybody I've ever loved is gone, and yeah. the only thing I have left is being a cop. 
Yeah. And I wonder if this would probably be a good question if we ever got to interview Jason. I wonder if the fact that the job is all he has left, I, I, I wonder if that alone makes him approach policing differently. Like he's not going to do anything that's going to get him fired. I mean, he is, but like, you know, he's going to be a little bit more careful because if he loses the job, he has absolutely nothing on this earth. But the irony is, is that he throws himself into the job because it's all he has left. But the reason that's all he has left is because of the job. Yeah. Right. Like Justin's dead because Voight's a cop. Mm-hmm. Al is dead because Voight's a cop. I mean, Aaron didn't leave because of that, but like basically Aaron left because of the job. Yeah. I mean, Olive and the baby, I mean, I, we don't, again, know that, but like, I would, you know. Whatever. But they they left because of Justin dying and Justin dying was because, right. yeah. But like, though, if you really think about the main three, Justin, Al, and Aaron, well, they all are not there anymore because of the job. And even before Justin, Al, and Aaron, his wife died, you know, yeah, his I mean, dad granted, was that- a cop who died in the line of duty. Right. And I mean, I can't, granted, his wife dying was not a result of the no. job, but- Still, my point still stands is that it's ironic that like he says he the job is all he has left and he throws himself into that because he doesn't have family. Well, like the reason you don't have family is ironically because of the job. Yeah. So that's all fu- kinds of fucked up. This is the, it's the same kind of thing that ended up happening with happening with Antonio is that the, Antonio lost everything because of the job. Yeah, I'm still bitter about that. Oh, so so bitter, so bitter. I'm so so bitter about that character exit. Oh man, it drives me up a wall. I know. I know. Every time I think, every time now, like someone mentions Antonio, I'm just like, I hate it so much. I hate it so much. Like I, I, I have certain pictures with like groups of friends that I look at now and you know I've lost some friends over the years like that's life right but even just looking at those pictures of friends and looking and knowing that two of the 10 people in that photo are now gone that breaks my heart like for Voight to be able to look at all these photos of his family in this house and say they're all gone yeah that's a lot yeah he literally is no one that, that like that breaks my heart even for void that breaks my heart yeah he's got arguably he's got trudy but that's it but eh, i mean yeah he arguably has trudy but really not really i still say he spends thanksgiving with mouth and trudy i would hope so god i hope so too yeah especially because like and again, this is, I think, a result of, again, the kind of balance issues that PD's had over the last little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure the PD, like the intelligence is close, but really you've got the factions, right? You've got Haley and Jay kind of in their own bubble. You've got Kevin, who sometimes interacts with the Burzicks, but sometimes not. And then you've got the Burzicks. And so they're not like a cohesive unit family the way that like Firehouse 51 is. Yeah. So like Voight, I don't know, like Voight, and then you've got Voight just like all by himself. So, like, it's not even, like, one of those things where you'd be like, oh, yeah, well, I have my work family. Like, do you, though? You just have the job. And the job doesn't, you know, the job's a job. But, like, what if he were injured on duty or something? Like, he would, there would be, like, no reason for him to live. Without the job, there's, he, he's just out there. Yeah. That's terrifying. You know, he, we don't even see him go to the social club anymore. 
No, we haven't seen that in a long time. A long time. I think that was a Derek and Branch thing. Hmm. Like, I don't think we've seen it in a long, like, since they were not on the show. But, yeah. Yeah. The fact that you can look at all of the pictures of your loved ones in your room and say they're all gone. Yeah. And like I said, it's just the irony of the fact that, you know, like, this season is all about home and like everyone else creating their own homes and you know developing and then like you've got this Voight's home that's just so empty and barren and yeah 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 and so basically the episode ends though with we've got Anna at the bakery for her next shift and Escano walks in and basically like the next thing we know she's the next runner which is was always the plan is that like Anna would get to the point where she's like working for Escano in the Los Tomatoes, you know, whatever. So that's kind of where we end up. But like, I'm sure, I mean, granted, I, again, because of the balance thing, we probably won't get any more Anna for like four or five more episodes, you know, like, but this is going to be, I'm sure like the penultimate in the finale. Like, I'm sure this is like what that's going to be. Yeah. This episode was largely filler. But if you get her, like, there were, there were, like, a few moments of, like, juicy stuff in there. And, I mean, I think the juicy stuff is that this amped up the Escano conflict. But the, I, the rest of it was largely filler. It's plot. It's so, it's all plot. But mm. it's plot that moves it forward, again, I think, towards what will ultimately end up being, like, the penultimate in the finale. Yeah. Like, it's plot, but it was a plot with a point. Yeah. So yeah i'm still i don't know even after this though i'm like i'm I'm willing to give it hope and like you said see how it all comes together and see where escano falls in terms of like the villain you know the ultimate pd villains and like what happens to anna although i do really think she's gonna die i i don't see this ending well for her but i i don't know like i'm still just kind of like yeah yeah same same I'm, I'm having to work really hard to get invested in it. It's definitely not something I want. Like, like I said, last night, I pretty much went to bed. It was like 1030. And I was like, I'm going to go. I'm still had the TV on, but I was like, I'm not really paying attention. I'm going to go to bed. Yeah. Like, yeah. And like for most other episodes, I'm, that's not the case at all. Mm-hmm. So um, we did have, of course, have listener thoughts. Um, Danielle M said, I'm not a fan of Anna, but she did a good job in this episode. The part where Scano wanted to burn the gunshot wounds, he actually had the best idea. It would have stopped the bleeding and been less painful in the long run. I've never seen a first aid kit with stitches in it before. Hell, my medic gear doesn't even have stitches on it. Yeah, because Danielle's oh. a paramedic. Yeah, um, but I, I doubt there were stitches in there. I bet that was like a dirty needle and like some dental floss or something. Probably. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not like actual stitches they like macgyvered the stitches together yeah because stitches isn't something you just like the normal first aid kit has it's not a thing not a thing not a thing because they don't want normal average people sewing human flesh oh my god have i ever told you about the time where i when i was a kid that i cut my head open um on my parents bedpost and so my dad did my stitches though like not we did go to the emergency room but of course my dad being a surgeon my dad did my stitches and I don't remember this but my mom says that my dad didn't like numb it and so so my mom says that like I screamed I don't remember that at all I remember like looking up at him and like him doing them but and then of course it was like Christmas Eve so like 
you know, and they had, I only got like two or three stitches. It wasn't like as big a deal, but like, we didn't go back to the emergency room to get them taken out. Like my dad just did it in his, in my mom's room. Like How I just like laid on you? their bed. I was four. Why? Why wouldn't you numb it? I don't know. But like, we didn't even go back to the emergency room to take them out. Like we just did it in the house. Like, oh my God. We just did it in the house. Um, but yeah. Oh my God. Yeah that's different though they're like there's a difference between your dad being a surgeon and you just being oh, a know. ci yeah in the back of like some bakery oh i know i just every i thought about that when i was watching this i was like yeah just like weird places you're doing stitches or like taking them out like i don't know it just made me think of that but like, oh my god yeah oh my god okay so heather b said like jay anna's growing on me Still don't particularly like her, but I do at least care about her now, even if I have minimal hope that she'll survive this season. Wait, stating that everyone is gone and all he has is the job really highlights the other relationships on the show, even if they were not the focus of the episode. While not everyone is in the best place in their personal lives, they at least have them. Voight is alone. At first, I thought this relationship he was building with Anna was kind of like the one he had with Lindsay, but he seems to be keeping her at arm's length, maybe to protect himself from losing another person he cares about. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. I could see that too. Yeah. Uh, she also said, Escano's hold over Adrian also, I think shows how toxic an influential relationship like that can be if the person with the influence doesn't care what happens to the person who looks up to them. Oh yeah, big 100%. time. 100%. Big time. Uh, parallel of Adrian reaching out to Escano because he thought, or sorry, I lost my place because he thought it would help. And then Escano telling him to end his own life so that he wouldn't get his hands dirty and tie up the loose end compared to Anna calling out to Voight, Jay and Haley, uh, and, and not getting the help she needed at the time because they needed her to be a means to an end and eventually leading to her running drugs and money for Escano to me shows how, even if she is tough, she can be influenced just like Adrian was. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lost my place again. Like with like, Adrian. Yeah. Yeah. I think voice influence over Anna is going to end badly for her, but unlike Ascano, I don't think Void is actually heartless enough to be unaffected. That is a really interesting point mm-hmm. that Void's influence is going to end badly. I think, I think it is for sure, but I also think Void's going to try his damnedest not to let it happen. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we even saw it, like I said, we saw it in this episode. Like, yeah, Voight didn't call, go in when Anna said she needed help, but, like, he wasn't going to ever put her in something where he thought she would end up killed. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's going to try his absolute hardest to keep her safe. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, unlike Ascano, I don't think Void is actually heartless enough to be unaffected. I could see this ending with Anna dying or at least getting seriously injured in the next to last episode of the season and Void seeking revenge on Ascano. I could see that. Mm-hmm. could see that. Whether this leads to Void being injured or relieved of command, I don't know. But I do think there's a reason the writers had Void point out how alone he is. Either this is going to end with the team surrounding him and proving he actually does have a family or he's going to go out on his own again and the team will be too late to save him. Either his life or his job, maybe both. Ooh, that, that would is be interesting. Bold prediction. Something I could see is I could see Escano like firing at Anna and Voight getting between them and taking the bullet. Oh, interesting. I could see that. I could see that. But I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's a really bold prediction. Yeah, I would, let's put it this way. If it happened, I would be like, oh man, that's amazing. But like, 
I don't know if it'll happen, but that is a, yeah. It still wouldn't be enough to redeem Voight, but. No, but it would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Big time. Big time, big time. Any other notes on PD? Uh, nope, that's it. It was a pretty exhausting episode, but it raised some good questions. Yeah, and like I said, it's plot. It's all plot, but it's plot with a point. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. plot with a point. There was just a lot to wade through to get the real point of the episode. But yeah, well, and to move it forward too. Like there was a point to doing this is that we're moving towards the finale. Right. And if you look really, really closely, closely, you see that we just like amped up the action and the conflict a couple notches, which is yeah. going to make the payoff even more exciting. Yeah. As long as Burgess stays safe this time, for fuck's sake, people. Yeah. Stop. Don't mess with Burgess. Keep keep everyone safe please like yeah everyone we care about i know you don't watch rick and morty but there's an episode where summer the sister gets locked in the car and like you know rick is like traveling through space and stuff and so the only thing that the car is supposed to do is keep summer safe and so it just keeps saying that over and over the car just goes keep summer safe that's (laughs) keep kim safe yeah yes all of them keep everyone safe put them in a bubble please protect Protect. yes so um if you probably saw in the teaser image that we posted on insta we've got a special interview for you guys today so we noticed right at the start of the olympics that a member of the u.s olympic curling team started following us and that's tara peterson um turns out she watches the shows and so we thought we'd have her on for a chat because we wanted to learn more about curling and the Olympic experience. In addition, we learned to so much stuff. about curling. <laughs> we did. Yeah. I mean, it's so cool because we started following Tara. We started communicating with her and her teammate, Becca Hamilton, and we started watching the matches during the Olympics and learning things about the sport. So uh, we thought it would be really fun to chat with her, not just about Chicago, but the fact that like, I mean, she's an Olympian. That's incredible. Yeah. That's an amazing thing to accomplish in your life. Unreal. So yeah, yeah, we thought we would chat with her a little bit and we wanted to bring you that chat. We had such a good time. And the more Tara watches the show, the more we're probably going to bug her to come join us for an episode. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So yeah, give it a listen. Enjoy. First of all, I know I just said it, but thank you so much for joining us on the pod. This is so cool to have you. Yes. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. (laughs) So, so let me just set up like the situation of how we kind of found each other here. So right before the winter Olympics, I think right before you, you might've already been in Beijing. I don't know. Um, we got a notification and you know, I saw the blue check mark and it was like, Tara Peterson has followed you. And I was like, okay. And I clicked on your bio and I was like, oh my God, an Olympian is following the podcast. This is the coolest (laughs) thing in the world. Um, (laughs) I am a big Olympics nerd. I don't know about Bryna. I attended the 2012 games just as a spect- uh, spectator. Wow. So I'm an Olympics nerd. Bryna, how about you? I mean, I watch the Olympics. I wouldn't say I'm like as nerdy about it as you are, but I mean, I watch the Olympics. I really enjoy watching it, but I wouldn't say I'm a nerd about it like you are. Yeah. So we definitely were like, oh my God, like we're, <laughs> we're watching every single game match. What is it? Match? What Either. do you call it? Either. Either? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're like, we're going to watch every single one. We're going to learn about it. And they have to come on the podcast when we're done. (laughs) I love that so much. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad we were finally able to make that, make that happen. So yeah. So, um, you know, while you were in Beijing, we studied up, we saw your schedule, we watched a lot of the games, you know? So of course we had a couple questions because I know you're in Minnesota, right? Yes. Okay. So we're way more towards the South. Curling is not as much of a thing where we are. So 
we definitely want to know first and foremost, how did you get into curling? Yeah. So my family's actually from um, Canada originally. My mom was born there and her dad was a big curler. So curling is often a very family sport. Like somebody in your family does it and everybody carries it on for generations. Um, so that's how my sister and I got into it. My sister's on, on my curling team as well. Mm -hmm. Tabitha, she's the skip. I'm sure you guys know that you did all your research. <laughs> so we, we got into it in about like 2000. Um, one of my mom's friends had, um, started playing at the St. Paul curling club in St. Paul, Minnesota and said, Hey, I remember your dad used to do this. You know, why don't you bring the family down and try it? So we, we all went down there and tried it. And to be honest, my sister and I really didn't like it at first. <laughs> it was, you know, like the junior program that we joined was Saturday mornings. We had to get up early. It was nine to 11. You don't want to be doing that on a Saturday morning as a kid. And then we didn't really know anybody, anybody in it. Our friends weren't doing it. So kind of took us a while to get into it. And we really liked the snacks at halftime, like any <laughs> other sport, right? So like the, there's always, there's a bar. So the other big thing about curling, obviously not when we were juniors, but big thing about curling is there's a lot of drinking involved. So there's the bar upstairs and that's where we would go up and have like donut holes and oranges. And like one family would bring like these little mini weenies and like barbecue sauce. Oh my God, they were good. Like that's what kept us going. <laughs> that's so funny. So like, was it ever something you imagined that would like turn into something that curling would be something you would turn into doing professionally? Or was that like not something you realized you wanted to do until much later on? Yeah. I mean, if you ask eight-year-old Tara, if she imagined like where she would go from here, no, she'd be like, what's the Olympics? I don't, I don't even know what curling is like, no, not at all. But then like, as you, as we kept doing it and we would compete and we got better and better and I think kind of that turning point for, for my sister and, and I, and I don't know if I can speak for her, but, um, was we had won our first junior nationals. So juniors is 21 and under, and we had gone to, um, the junior worlds, which were in Vancouver at the Olympic venue. So the, the it's always a test event the year before the Olympics, the junior worlds is. So we got there and like, you know, there's the Olympic rings everywhere and you're kind of, you're, we're not in an Olympic village, but we're in the Olympic venue at least. And I think that was maybe the moment where I was like, huh, you know, like maybe, maybe there's something here. <laughs> That's awesome. And so, <laughs> sorry, what does the path from am amateur to professional look like? Is it just that like, once you hit 18, you can compete professionally or are there certain benchmarks you have to hit? How does that work? Yeah. Um, there is kind of, well, I mean, obviously like the difference with most sports, like amateur versus professional is collecting money. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe there's more, um, but in curling, it's not like you just click this or you turn over the switch and you're a professional or anything. It's just you, all of the tournaments we go in, we earn money for, so that makes us professionals. Um, but we all have jobs too. Like it, we can't make money doing this again. You did your research. I'm sure or you didn't watch. <laughs> and I know that like my, my husband was saying, they talked a lot about my sister and Nina and I all having, you know, we're, we're professionals in a different sense. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, cause curling doesn't pay the bills. Um, some, some teams up in Canada from endorsements, um, they, they're making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, but we just, we don't quite have that down here in the States. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just not quite as big. And to be honest, I, we don't have very many sponsors cause I'm too lazy to, I don't like asking for money. I'm like, I could just go to work and make money. Like, <laughs> so we probably could be better about it and maybe, you know, after the Olympics now we will, but yeah. 
But so you're considered a professional from the time you compete as like at the junior level. Is that <sighs> kind of? Um, yeah, I guess I didn't fully answer that question. <sighs> I mean, we probably were playing in, in some tournaments where you could earn money. Right. And again, if that's the definition, then maybe, but so like after 21, then, you know, you're into the women's, you can't play juniors anymore. And then right. I guess more so, more so than if, if there's like a number, probably 21. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am curious, you mentioned obviously that you and your sister have competed and you guys went to the juniors together, the world juniors together. Like, have you and Tabitha always competed with each other or was it just something that happened in the last couple of years? Like, I'm curious, like, when did you guys start competing with each other? Yeah. So for the most part, I mean, Yes. As, as little kids, we played together. We were on the same junior team up until she aged out of junior. So she's two years older than me. Gotcha. Um, so then there were a couple years that I played, um, with Becca actually for the two years, cause Becca's one year older than me. Um, and then, um, once we were then in women's, we were just kind of on separate teams. Cause that's the way it worked. She had gotten onto a women's team. She had actually gotten onto the, um, the Olympic team from 2010, broke up slightly and they picked up my sister because that was the time when she had just aged out. So she was on a fantastic team. You know, there's no room for me. So we kind of played and then I played with Nina and Becca and another person for a couple of years. And then um, we didn't actually start playing again together for, I think we, we were maybe separate for nearly eight years actually. And then got back together like right for this squad. So in 2018. Great. And you took a break from curling to go to dental school. And so yeah. what, what made you want to do that? Was it just a matter of curling doesn't pay the bills and like, you know, you had to follow your dreams that way. Yeah, for sure. And like education is very important. I mean, our, our parents definitely drove that into our heads. Like you, you need, you need an education. Like, and to be honest, it, there, when I was deciding to go to college, whatever, there was never a it's college or it's curling. It's mm-hmm. you do both. You just make it work. And it's, if curling works, cool. If it doesn't, whatever. And so then, you know, as I got more serious and I was like, still not even sure if, you know, the Olympics was actually going to happen. Yes. It's a dream, but is it going to happen? I'm like, no, I'm going to have a career because you need something to fall back on. So I was very happy with my decision to take a step away. I took like two and a half years off. Um, and finished dental school. And then it just kind of happened right after the Pyeongchang Olympics. Um, Eileen was, got pregnant first. So she took a year off kind of maternity leave and then Nina was pregnant. So it was easy for me to kind of transition my way in. And we all kind of moved around and and made a a five-man team, which was perfect because now we have two mothers and, you know, we all have jobs and other things that makes it a really good balance. That's great. So team Peterson has always been the same five. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That's mm-hmm. great. Is that common in curling? Pretty much. I mean, there's, there's sometimes a little bit, you know, if there's some hostility, maybe someone gets kicked off the team or something like that, but for them. Yeah. So it, again, in, in the U S there's not too many people to choose from. Mm-hmm. So once you find the people you like and you mesh, well, you, you tend to stay together as long as everyone wants to keep playing, you know, people retire, they want to move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of like, we were just talking about teams. I am curious though, like, how are the teams formed? Like, is it just a matter of you guys like picking and being like, Hey, I like competing with this person and this person. And like, we can create a squad. Like, how does that part of curling work? Kind of for the most part? Yes. You tend to pick who you want, who you like, who you get along with. Um, 
So right after the 2014 Olympics um, in Sochi, both the men's teams and the women team, I think they got dead last. They were awful. And so the USA curling kind of recreate restarted like this new program called the high performance program. And like we tried out, there was a combine, there was how many push-ups can you do? How many, there was a sprinting aspect, the beep test. Have you ever done that? It's awful. Um, and then there was some, some curling things as well. Like, you know, do this shot and you get scored, whatever. So then they kind of form teams based on that. And the first year it, we didn't get to choose at all. They literally said, you're going to be on this team and you're playing this position. And nobody really liked it. Cause it's like, Oh, I don't really like this person or, you know, this person, I don't really mesh well together. Cause again, curling, you're, you're spending a ton of time together and to be a successful team, you got, you got to get along. You got to be on the same page. Communication is huge. Um, so they found out pretty quickly that that didn't work. So then there was a little bit more of some, okay, who do you want to play with? We'll put people together who like each other and, you know, things like that. And, I mean, women can be catty and, you know, if there's bad blood, there's bad blood. Like women can't like get over it sometimes. Whereas the men, I think it's a little bit easier. Um, so yes. So then we were able to, and now from now on, you kind of pick who you want to play with. Interesting. So does USA curly, USA curling, then they pick it by team, not necessarily individuals, right? So we had to win the Olympic trials to go to the Olympics. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So all the teams, again, the teams were formed. And then we played off and, and then we won. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, one of the, it's always interesting to hear how the different Olympic sports come together. I follow gymnastics very closely yeah. and I know they, they handpick the individuals and piece them together yeah. and make a team. So it's always interesting to hear how differently the, the different sports operate. Oh, for sure. I, I agree because they're all so different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even like, like the U S with curling, it's like that, you know, you have to play and then you have to win, mm-hmm. but the Scottish teams or Great Britain, they were, um, they're handpicked. They're like, okay, you, 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 you're going to be together. And now this team is going to the Olympics. So like not every country has like a play down like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. It's very interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And so, uh, I'm sure it's more intense leading up to a competition, but what does a normal week of curling look like? Like how many days do you practice? Do you practice as a team? Is it hours upon hours? What does it look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like a, on a week that I'm home and not traveling for a tournament, um, we'll practice like during the week, Monday through Friday, um, three or four times, um, and then try to get the weekend Friday, Saturday, Sunday kind of thing. Um, but when we're traveling, it's less because our tournaments are usually like a, a Thursday through a Monday, or sometimes they can be Tuesday through Sunday. So that it's, you know, I'm just there and I'm just, we're playing games. Um, but on like a traditional week, I'm probably on the ice four to five times. And then also in the gym at least three times. And then if it's nice, I'll go for a run, a bike ride, golfing, do a lot of golf, um, things like that. Yeah. Are there like tournaments, you know, like you said, you were traveling for tournaments, whatever, like I'm sh- obviously I know there's like nationals and worlds and things like that, but like, mm-hmm. are there just like other tournaments that you have to hit a certain, like say you have to win four out of five to order to qualify for nationals or like, how does that part work? Yeah. The nationals, I guess we've been exempt in for a lot of times for winning things. Um, right. There's, I think there is a play down again, men's there's like always a play down to get in. There's not as many women. Um, so oftentimes it is kind of like a sign up and go, um, to the nationals. Um, but we like, we get invites into really big tournaments up in Canada. Um, so those are kind of like 
the main thing we want to do because they're worth the most money and they're they're against the the top 15 teams in the world so that's where we get the best experience the best you know games and obviously the most lucrative as well great and so this this competition in Beijing this was your first Olympics was it was it everything you thought it would be what was it like yeah it it was definitely a, a unique experience with COVID um so that was a bit unfortunate I mean we knew going into it that there'd be no um, spectators, but there were a, a few Chinese spectators, but you know, no family, no friends, the stands were very quiet. Um, and then we were, we were in a bubble. So didn't get to see any of Beijing, but I've been to Beijing. So, you know, I've already seen the great wall, so it's fine in that sense. But luckily I, I went to Pyeongchang as a spectator. So I got to see kind of what it's all about. And like you, you leave a venue and there's just people on the street, like partying and hanging out. And then there's like a concert in the park right here. Like there's just commotion all around and it was just so fun. Um, so obviously there wasn't that this time. So the whole kind of vibe around it was a little bit different. Um, but I mean, everything was very safe. Nobody got COVID, you know, that I obviously people did and then they were quarantined, but once you're in the village and a million and a half negative tests, like it was the safest place to be. Um, but my favorite kind of like Olympic jaw opening experience was the opening and closing ceremonies. So yeah, we were, we were right up front because John Schuster, our curler, he got to be one of the flag bearers. So the men's team was right behind him and then we were right behind them. And so like being like the first people to walk out and just, there's the Olympic rings, just like right up there, it's ginormous. And then there's the torch and just all these countries and so many team USA people, like it was just a really cool experience. Yeah. Like it still gives me goosebumps thinking and talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Did you get to trade pins? That's a big thing at the Olympics. Did you get to trade them? <laughs> Trading pins is a huge thing. Um, I hate to admit I'm not a huge pin person. Um, I did trade some, like we got our USA curling pins and we have our like US curling Olympic pins. So I'd, I'd trade a few if somebody asked me, but mostly I gave them to people or brought them home and gave them to, you know, some friends and fans and stuff. Um, but Nina and Becca were really into pins. So they, that was their thing. And so like people around your lanyard or credentials, people would have all the pins and volunteers would come running up to you like trade pins, trade pins. And so they're like, great. Yeah. And then yeah, people would collect all of them. Were, were you a pin person? And I was definitely group? a pin person. Yeah. My London pins are on my bookshelf. I put them all. Oh, in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was definitely a pin person. My best friend and I were definitely like everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I, I thought pin things was like a curling thing. Cause like we always get pins and curling. And like I said, I've never been a pin person. And then yes, you go to the Olympics and it's a thing there. I was like, I, I did not know this was so like worldwide. <laughs> yeah. It's cool though. Cause then you come back and you're like, Oh, I traded pins with like a German fencer with like an Argentinian soccer player. And it, it's, yeah. it's fun. Oh, for sure. It, it's totally fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so um, I know Tabitha competed at the Olympics previously in Pyeongchang. Did she give you any advice heading into this competition? So, I mean, all, yeah, all of the girls that I was playing with had, this was all their second one. I was the only, the, the only virgin. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we had talked so much about it. To be honest, the, the curling part of it was the most like normal and nothing different for me because I've played in enough like international competitions that it's the same teams it's the same ice and, and honestly this was kind of my mental game going in so that I it wouldn't be 
a different experience. Like it's the same sheet of ice. It's the, it's the same rocks, like nothing's different. And so yeah, to be, again, that was my mindset and it does maybe doesn't sound as good because it's not like the, the hype up about it, but it made it just so that it was normalized for me. I don't know. Maybe that's not a good answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that makes sense. No, that makes sense. It does. <laughs> and so, and what was it like competing in the bubble? I mean, obviously you couldn't have friends or family there. Was that hard? Yeah. I mean, it, it was a bummer that our friends and family couldn't go there and Obviously we got a little bit lonely, missed my husband, missed my parents. Um, but that's the beauty of technology, right? You can FaceTime. Um, but we had, so the world championships that had occurred, um, the previous April, um, we had been in a bubble situation there where there was literally no spectators. Um, so at least like there were some people in the stands at this one, like you could have, you know, some Chinese people there. Um, so we had done it before. So it was our second event like that where there's just nobody there. And honestly, that's how everything's been for these last two years that it's just like, that's our new normal. I hate it, but it's our new normal. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know, like we mentioned earlier, I think between the two of us, I think we watch pretty much every game. I love that. We like (laughs) just between on the timing, I think we made it to watch most of them. And like, we were like texting each other. We'd be like, I don't understand this. Like, how does this work? And one of the, I think the one question we kept texting each other, like over and over again is what is the purpose behind you putting the first stone so high and centered? Oh yeah. Um, so it's called a guard and yes, it's, it's basically a blocker so that now we can come around it to the button, the, or the bullseye, Mm -hmm. right. And it's going to be a lot harder for the other team to remove that. So you're right. It's every game, or if you watch any other game, like it's every end is kind of the same setup, right? Like there's always a high one and then you come around it. it, You're right. That's just kind of the strategy of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good observation though. <laughs> yeah. We noticed that. And then, um, what else was it? Oh, okay. So in an end, when you don't have the hammer, I mean, are like, not that you're screwed, but like, are, do you just kind of, you kind of have to sit back and you're at the mercy of probability at that point. Right. A little bit. Yeah. And so that's when those guards or those blockers are going to come like more into play. Right. Because now you're making a shot a lot harder for the other team. So you always put up guards when you don't have the hammer. Also nice t- terminology. Re- really good. <laughs> really proud of you we did our homework (laughs) we tried we tried the very like beginning of the like the beginning of the olympics we were like texting each other like curling 101 links we were like hey it looks like this is this that is that it's called an end like yeah yeah you guys are doing great (laughs) we both speak other sports so we were like okay this is just like any other sport we just gotta learn it now (laughs) yeah so and so um unfortunately you know i mean your goal was to medal you made it close, <clears throat> but I'm sure you guys were disappointed, but how much does that motivate you to work harder and come back even better at your next competition? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We, it, the, the thing about curling is it comes down to inches or millimeters. Like it's every inch counts. And we were just kind of on the wrong side of things. Even like if this hit would have curled a little bit more, we would have made the shot. We would have won that game, like just little things like that. And so, yeah, I mean, technically we were one game short, Um, And there's so many games, like looking back, it's like, oh, if we just made that one shot, like that would have been the difference. So it's frustrating. Um, And yeah, you're, you're right. We're obviously disappointed and, you know, kind of over it now, but coming home was hard, you know, and having to realize, you know, your dreams were not 
achieved, but you're absolutely right. It's like, okay, well, I guess, I guess we got to do it again. <laughs> we got to try again and here's to another four years and work hard and let's, let's see if we can make the magic happen then. Yeah. And so what is the next competition that you guys compete in? And like, does team Peterson, like, are you guys choosing to stay intact for whatever is next? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we still have two more tournaments for the rest of the season. Um, Two of those bigger tournaments that I talked about up in Canada. Um, Mm -hmm. They're called grand slams. So we'll have one in Toronto, April 11th or something that week. And then one, the first week of May in called olds, Alberta, never been there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so those are like the last two tournaments and then we'll be done for the summer and then we'll get going again, end of August. So yes. Um, I think the plan is to keep it going for another four years because why not? (laughs) That's great. Yeah. I didn't want to ask you the question. I hate when that asks that happens on TV when somebody Mm -hmm. wins a medal and then they're just like, what's next? What's next is they're going to enjoy their medal. Leave them alone. Right. Right. But yeah. So that means Milan is definitely in your future. I think so. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, and to, to go to another, A, Italy is amazing. Like I want to go to Italy and I've never been to the North part of Italy, but to, I want to have the Olympic experience with a normal Olympics. So that that's my other motivator, like to have my family there, to have friends there, to have spectators there and make it that normal feeling. Mm-hmm. Cause I kind of, I, I feel like I got a little bit robbed of that fair yeah that's fair and so obviously we are a one chicago podcast yeah. you know, we have other interests but we love we could chicago. become a curling podcast we could we, I mean, could. we could yeah we could i'm sure our followers during the olympics were like what are they doing like why are they why do they keep tweeting about curling but right yeah, we could so we we want to know i mean we we figured when when you followed us we were like did she watch the shows she must watch the shows and so since that's how we connected i mean yeah. we, we need we got to talk about it so how did you start watching the shows yeah so I started watching the shows in COVID actually so I'm you know late to the game and I needed something to do like everyone right so I started watching and I I only watch Chicago Med so you know obviously I've I've seen a couple of the other ones here and there and I I like you guys talk about I like the crossover that you get to meet some other characters like that's that's the fun part about it but I don't have time for all of them it's very impressive um (laughs) that you guys do I'm very impressed (laughs) um but yeah so I started watching Chicago um med and just kind of binged it here and there um so I'm still not all the way through but I like it. Um, again, I'm, I'm a dentist, so I like the medical side of thing. I, I like a lot of medical shows and kind of what keeps me interested is that, but also the characters and, you know, the relationships that form and, um, just, yeah, that nice. What season are you on now? I think I'm, I'm somewhere in at the end of three, I think. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I haven't gotten very far. Okay. Yeah. But I just, I love, um, I think Natalie, uh, Manning, Dr. Dr. Manning, she's just so cute. And I just think, and then I, the other thing is I really like, um, Will Halstead. I, I really like him. I have a thing for redheads. So that's also <laughs> what keeps me going and watching the show and just like following those two characters through and like building the relationship. And I was just like, okay, when are they finally going to get together? Like, and I think it was the second season maybe when, and I was like, come on, like, can you do this already? Just that kind of thing. <laughs> three is the good man's three is the good man said season though, isn't it? Yeah, I was gonna say, 
three is the good season for them. So yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And then yeah, I, of course I I know that then you know this happens and then they break up and then he proposes in a bad way and I'm just like <laughs> come on you guys like I I was so looking forward to this and then yeah it kind of goes to shit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh goodness. Um, yeah. Well, wait till you get to the wedding episode. That's a trip. Yeah. That's yes. a trip. Yeah. yeah. Did we ever cover that one on the pod, Brenna? Or was that like before our time? No, that was, we covered that on the pod. That was we, when we were active. We should revisit it when Tara gets there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That I would, would be love fun. to. Yeah. <laughs> that was a trip. So you have no plans. I guess, like you said, you don't obviously have a lot of time, but you don't really have any plans or interest to go back and watch like the other ones. Maybe. 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 Yeah. Again, it's one of those things that next time I need something to do, I'm sure I'll start. And then you just binge and binge and binge. (laughs) But yeah, I've I've been a little bit busy lately. So I mean, yeah, yeah, just a little bit, a little bit, just a little bit. I know know. it's it's a bad excuse. I'm sorry, but (laughs) (laughs) so what do you think of, I mean, season three, I'm trying to think of what else is going on. What do you think of the other characters? What do you think of Ethan, April and everybody else? Yeah. Yeah. And then those two get together. Yeah. Um, I like them. Yeah. Like, I just think everybody has their own kind of story and it's cute. And, and then seeing Reese kind of build up from being like the intern, I was kind of laughing in like the first season, how she's like, again, not that I went to med school, I went to dental school, but I'm like, why is like this, I'm thinking like this pre-doc, like doing all these things, like that just kind of made me laugh. And then, you know, then she gets into, or then she finishes med school, I guess, and then starts. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I, I always just think of all these like technicalities. I'm like, does that actually happen? Like, do they actually let this medical student do these things? <laughs> that and have you kept track of how many times med has blown up? Well, yeah. I mean, no, I haven't, but yes. It, there's <laughs> More the, than it should. Right. And you just, I mean, that and like, I was, I've watched Grey's Anatomy as well. Like, I just feel like they're, they have to just keep coming up with more different ways to, yeah, make, you know, just catastrophes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So do you yeah. watch a lot of other TV? Like what else do you watch? We always ask everybody who comes on. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a big Grey's Anatomy fan, but kind of got out of that to too many seasons. Um, <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah. What am, what am I watching right now? Um, I really liked, um, marvelous Mrs. Meisel. Did you guys watch that? I'm uh, behind, but yes, I have yes. watched it. I haven't watched the newest season. Yeah, I haven't watched it. When I watched either. those, I thought those were really good. Yeah, it's really I thought good. she was funny. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I, I've been, I haven't watched much TV lately. <laughs> That's we, great. my husband and I went to Batman the other night. <laughs> was that good? <laughs> it was. And it was, it was, this is actually really embarrassing. The, the girls at work made really made fun of me for this it was the first time I've been to a movie theater since they put you know like the really nice like lay down chairs in and I told <laughs> probably about 10 years ago because <laughs> we just I don't go to the theater like if we watch movies I don't know it's at home and yeah but yeah and it literally been and then we looked it up the last movie I went to and it was 10 years ago it was the silver silver linings playbook oh my god <laughs> was the last theater yes yeah and they're like wow. you gotta get out more <laughs> it's been 10 years since that movie yeah I know that's the other thing right like I love Bradley Cooper Jennifer Lawrence they're amazing that's awesome. I guess it has been 10 years since the cheese yeah that's I didn't know that until we we googled it we're like okay yeah that was 2012 
All right. <laughs> oh my goodness. I know. We're, we're getting old, you guys. Gone. We're getting yeah. time gone. That yeah, we're getting old. That's that's the best way to put it is we're getting yeah. old. So yeah. Well, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, that's about all we've got on questions about unless Brenna, if you had anything else, anything? No, I think that's it. Tara, thank you so much for joining us and answering all our curling 101 of questions. Course. We really yeah. appreciate it. This is so this was so much fun. Um, Tara, tell everyone where we can find you on social media. Oh, on my social medias. Um, Tara is super cool. <laughs> yep. Oh, I mean, it's Although- true. This is true. She is. And that's what it's called. Um, but the Twitter is Tara super cool. And the L is a one because somebody else apparently already had that username. Rude. I know. I can't believe it. Weird. That's funny. So, well, yeah, that, that's about all we've got again, Tara, thank you so much for joining us. This was so much fun. And everybody, what, Oh, here's a good closing question for you. If somebody wants to get involved in curling or learn more, or, you know, see if there's something in their town, what should they do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Google it. Google curling near me. And the beautiful part is there are curling clubs opening up everywhere. Um, like there's a ton like coming up in, in Texas and Florida, like they they are literally everywhere, even in the South, um, Google it. And the, the other really great thing about curlers is everyone's very welcoming. There's always learn to curls. And if something's going on and you walk into a curling club, someone will teach you what's going on. Like it, it, everyone is very friendly. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. This was so much fun. Yeah. Thank you, Tara. Thank you. You do. Yeah. So so. nice to officially meet you. And now we can be, you know, more than just friends on the social, right? Absolutely. Yes. Stay in touch. Stay in touch for sure. I love Tara. She's so sweet. She was so nice. And like I said, we, I, I learned so much. I mean, there's still obviously a lot to learn. I still have a lot more curling to watch, but I learned so much. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And she's, she's got to come back as she watches more. Um, Yes. But like, we've had an Olympian on the show. That's big. It's really cool. So cool. So cool. And yeah, we learned a lot. I mean, I know about the hammer and the skip and it's cool. Curling is a cool sport. Like I know people laugh at it a lot, but like it's all pre- precision and it's, it's all so strategy. technical. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd ever watched. I mean, before we became friends with Tara, like I really don't think I'd ever watch curling ever. But I, I think between you and I, we watched pretty much all the games mm-hmm. this year during the Olympics and I learned so much. It's so technical. Very, very much so. Yeah. Like even, I mean, you guys heard it in the interview, like we were asking her like why they put the guard so high, like why that's the first stone and wh- why they place it so high. And for so it acts like a guard. And I mean, just, and she's like, yeah, well, it ba- you know, sometimes it doesn't pay off, but like a lot of times it does pay off because it makes them have to do their shot this way. And it's just like, oh my God. Very strategic. The precision in that sport is just like. It's unreal. I mean, it's like, the diff- like millimeters can make a difference. Yeah. Millimeters can make a difference. Yeah. It's very like science heavy too. Cause like the way, the way you move the stone, like impacts it, like how much force. Oh, it's, it's, it's a very impressive sport. It really is very impressive. Yeah. And so, uh, you, she gave you the Twitter handle on in the interview, go follow her. Like she's a shy heart too. go follow her, become yeah. friends. Yeah. Sweet as can be. So, um, thought it was a lot of fun to have her on the podcast. Thank you for coming on Tara. That was so, so much fun. Yeah. So much fun. So that's about all we've got for today. As always, you know where to find this Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr. I think I said those out of order, but I'm tired. So like, whatever. Um, it's me to Somalis right across the board. Like, you know where to follow us. Me to Somalis. Um, we have a Tumblr. I haven't updated it in a long time, but 
it's there. Uh, yeah. So follow us on, individually on Twitter. I am at Gina watches TV, Brenna. I'm at Brenna K 13. Email us anytime about anything. Seriously. Anytime about anything. Meet us at Molly's at gmail.com. It does not have to be one Chicago. Does it? No. Other stuff. Other stuff. I don't know. Um, someone in the patron group the other day tagged me in a Dolly Parton thing. Cause she knows I love Dolly Parton. Like, yeah, could be anything, anything. Uh, yeah. And so we're on hiatus now, a little mini hiatus. I think next week we said we were going to do a bonus episode, right? Yeah. I don't know what we're doing next. We've, we've like kind of thrown some ideas where I don't know. We don't know what we're doing. We're doing something. So just we've stay got, tuned. I'm looking at the, I got to look at, we'll have two weeks of like no one Chicago shows. Okay. The 23rd and the 30th are Wednesdays where we don't have Chicago. So. Okay. That's not bad. That's not a bad break. It's not bad. No, it's doable, but we're going to do something. We just don't know yet. So keep your eyes peeled to socials. We'll be announcing it there. And yeah, otherwise everybody have a good weekend and we will see you next week. Bye.